at the beach, at home, wherever good times are had. You can take them anywhere. Hey, remember when we said we weren't going to make this three hours? (laughs) Aren't we funny? I I think I can cut a good half hour. I'll just cut all the parts we talked about, Eternal Strategy and God of War. Be fine. (laughs) I kind of figured that'd be the parts you'd, you'd trim. This is the Internet's Worst Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Loki Jarson. With me again today is my good friend, Joe Stizzy. How are you doing, Stizzy? I'm doing well, my good friend, Loki Jarson. <laughs> uh, this episode's a little later than we wanted it wanted to record it, but, you know, things happen in real life. Scheduling is a problem sometimes. So this is our official, quote-unquote, best and worst of 2022 games. Shoo. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you'd agree that all the best out, uh, outlets come out with their best of previous year's list in the middle of February. Uh, it's just one of my biggest. No, in all honesty, one of my biggest criticisms of Jeff Keighley's end of the year show is that it happens in December, and games that come out in November are not eligible, except for that past year when one game was when it didn't happen the previous year. But I'm not going to accuse Jeff of any PS5 bias. But he is absolutely biased. Yeah, it does feel like that way sometimes. It also feels like he they want to try to mirror the actual award seasons with movies and the Oscars and all that crap. Yeah, but that comes in the spring. So, like, the Grammys, I think, just happened and the Oscars are about to happen, I think. I don't uh, really pay attention uh, to celebrity things. I don't either. I don't know exactly when they happen. But it seems like there's one in January then that movies from December or November are not eligible, but... Anyway, yeah, some some major quote-unquote games came out in December, so we wanted to make sure we both had enough time with them to pass judgment, shall we say. Yes, we cover the whole year on this show, so it takes yes. a little longer. I had to go back and looks like, oh, did anything come out in, just in January of 2022? No, but something came out in February that's in my top list, so. But we're going to start with the shittiest, worst crap first because we're the internet's worst, and we're going to have the internet's worst game of the year 2022. Got to play to our strengths. I think it's New Tales from the Borderlands. What was the worst game you played? Worst game I played... You don't I have don't, to have finished it. I don't think... I don't... Uh, I didn't play anything as bad as uh, New Tales from the Borderlands, but... I don't think you played as anything as bad as the five games I have here. Yeah, I, I don't think I did either. Um, you were, you play quite a bit more games than I do, mm. as we, we've established. But um, I, honestly, I'm looking on my list here. There's no games I didn't, I really, I didn't hate. But what I got here was, I would so, probably say the worst was probably Valkyrie Elysium. But it's a little my fanboy coming out. But we can talk about that. <laughs> In a little bit. Well, we're going to have to push that on a little bit. Uh, the reason I hated New Tales from the Borderlands the most of anything I played was because later on in this episode, we're going to talk about Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. 
and I think that encapsulates both the best and worst aspects of the Borderlands series. Uh, New Tales is only the worst. Just the bad humor. Incredibly shit references. Um, needless social commentary. Uh, New Tales, like, from the intro screen. The warning, you know, if you get seizures, you should probably stop playing. I sent you this image. I don't have the image anymore. But the warning was, like, this deals with, like, self-harm and corporate greed and other horse shit. Like, on the warning screen, when you log into the game. And more and more games are doing that now, and I'd like them to stop immediately with this warning crap. It's one thing to have seizures. It's another thing to be, oh no, this M-rated game might have M-rated content in it. Yeah, it's not exactly anything new. The original Resident Evils uh, had those warning warning screens, and it uh, it almost became like a signature of those games. It didn't really think anything too much of it, but they seem to be more commonplace these days. For content of, like, violence, okay, I understand a warning label. For content of theme, because the theme of New Tales is just, hey, corporations are evil, I don't know if you know this, we're just going to charge you $60 for this game. Which I guess you could argue is the overall theme of Border- of the Borderlands series. It's like, you know, Atlas and Malawan, they're all evil corporations, and, you know, bandits are just fighting out for their daily lives or fucking whatever. But it's a shooter, and you earn money with everything you do, and you spend money to buy more and more guns. So I, I, this really fucking irritates me whenever a product that charges you money criticizes capitalism. I despise that in its very nature. Yeah, it is It is hypocrisy at its finest, um, or its worst, but hmm. I'm the exact same way. In, in the original Borderlands, it, it, you know, with uh, all the how greedy the corporations were and you know how they controlled every single aspect on the planet of Pandora. It was, it was a parody back then. It was, yeah. It was tongue in cheek. Yeah. It was kind of like, Oh yeah. Corporations are bad. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for your money, by the way, here's your game. <laughs> the the most prominent character in Borderlands, the narrator Marcus is like, it's a fantastic day for capitalism. Like that's his character. He's just greedy guy. Yeah. I mean, he's probably, He's probably closest to a poster boy for that franchise. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I don't want to spend too much more time with it, other than to say that it's years and years ago we talked about the original Tales from Borderlands from uh, the people who made The Walking Dead. Have they gone out of, what are they called? Telltale? Telltale Games, yeah. Yeah, this is not Telltale who made this. This is just Gearbox themselves. And you can tell because it's painfully unfunny. And... Uh, I hated it, and I didn't bother finishing it, and I sent it back to Gamefly. It's the other reason I play so many of these things, I've rented a lot of games from Gamefly, and this was the one I was like, fuck this, have it back immediately. I almost threw it in that mailbox. Yeah, I, I, just, I try not to judge anything too harshly just on a trailer, but my opinion of the New Tales just plummeted first trailer I ever saw. It just... it. It just looks so bad. I just stay well, well clear of it. I don't, I don't want to speak too much about the, let's say, ideals or ideas. or. You, I could, if I wanted to, go over so many of the games on the list of both bad and good and great games on these this uh, end-of-year show. They all, A lot of them share a similar message, shall we say, to be as broad as possible about it. Some are more subtle than others. Most of them I'm okay with. I don't really care. And some of them punch you in the face with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Tales from the Borderlands absolutely punch you in the face with its message. So that's why it's the worst for me. Uh, you got anything bad you want to rant on? 
Uh, no. Uh, no, I can... I mean, I could talk about Valkyrie Elysium, and well, then, it's not... Then just... As it's said, not as vitriolic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I don't hate Valkyrie Elysium. I just, like I, like I said, I, I didn't play a whole lot that I would consider just terrible games last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was definitely probably the most disappointing for me. But I will admit that it's some, it's the fanboy mostly disappointed in me, and that I'm a huge fan of the of the previous Valkyrie profile games, and that they were. There were Japanese RPGs, and they they were kind of unique because it uh, they were the combat was kind of a mixture of uh, turn based and actiony, if you want to say, like you uh, would press the button corresponding with a different character, and they would act, and it was just mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. You know, dealt with North mythology, which I really really enjoyed. In fact, the game those games probably got me into it uh, for the most part. And had great soundtrack and you really unique art style. So I was looking forward to this game, but it turned out just to be it was just kind of a really generic hack and slash game that had pretty much no no relation to the previous games, even lore wise. I the only thing similar was you played as a Valkyrie, but she doesn't even have a name. She's just called Valkyrie. Project, well, the ones in the in previous one of the games had, does, at least had yes. names, but no, she has she had a name when she was a human, but not as a Valkyrie, which yeah, in previous yeah. games they do. They you know that it's Valkyrie Lineth, but she also had a name when she was a human. And I mean, I mean, the combat was okay. I mean, it was just like I said, it was it felt very Xbox 360 era action game to me just kind of very just kind of like a mindless go around just hacking and slashing and whacking and that was about it there wasn't there really wasn't much creativity when it came to the enemy designs and there was a lot of repeating enemies mm-hmm. and you know it kind of it, it did what it set out to do with I'm guessing the limited budget it had this was definitely not a triple H project by any means you you can definitely tell the entire budget went into character models yeah because in fact there's only four Ein Harriar when there was dozens in the previous games and those ones were more fleshed out than the ones in this game in Elysium they had some I mean they kind of had some interesting like surface backstory but it's never really explored whatsoever and I mean the story itself I can't even really it was so forgettable. I just, I can't even sit here actually thinking about it. I can't tell you what it was. It was. Odin sends you on missions and then you go back to Odin and says, I complete the mission. And Odin says, go do another mission. Yeah. No wonder I don't, I couldn't remember, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, basically what you just summed up there, that's about yes, it. Yes. And then later on, someone says, Hey, Odin's bad. Even though we've had absolutely no information or context that supports that claim. So it was very dis- it was kind of disappointing for me as a fan, but hey, I got caught up on some of my favorite podcasts and other YouTube shows, so <laughs> I guess it was good for that. I, I'm definitely more positive on the game than you. I have it in my what I would call my middle category. So it's about the positives, I think, later in a little bit here. But uh, yeah, as far as like uh, story and combat and enemies, it's the most bland generic thing, absolutely. I have no defenses for that, 
Yeah, and that's what made the games, uh, the previous games, so good. Mm-hmm. And for this game to fail so summarily, it was yeah. I I just gotta I gotta put it in my most disappointing game category. Most disappointing game, if not necessarily the worst game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm relooking over my notes here. I've not actually finished any of the games I would put in the worst category, and I think that's better because I would used to just power through no matter how much I hated something. I'm a little less inclined to do that based on how much I play now. So I'm just real quick going to burst through a bunch here. Uh, Final Fantasy Strangers of Paradise. It's just Neo again with Final Fantasy Paint. Um, Incredibly bland protagonist. um, Incredibly boring combat. Uh, Nice environments, I guess. Otherwise it was crap. Uh, Inscription, which is a card game that doesn't tell you there's rules. Uh, Vampire Survivors, which is a dodge em up it's like a shoot em up instead of shooting you just dodge and people are obsessed with it even though it's very obviously a five minute game uh some five minute games you play for hours this one is like well after five minutes you've seen the entire game there's no extra thing to this there aren't even any buttons once you hit select all you do is move the character there you don't press any buttons how is this a video game <laughs> yeah i've seen i've seen a lot of people yeah playing it on streams and whatnot and yeah, I, I I don't get it. I would my attention span would not allow me to play that more than a few minutes. It's just I don't get it. Um, the last two are kind of tied in my worst category, and I think you'll have more positive things to say about both of these: Dying Light Two and Callisto Protocol. The most frustrated I've been in all of 2022 were these two games, and. For different reasons, but they both have to do with restriction. You're going to see in this list, what I really love in video games is freedom, and what I really hate is restriction. In Dying Light, to open up, not necessarily fast travel, but to open up the map, you know, get scout out the area, you climb up on these windmills, right? And instead of, you know, in the previous game, you just climb and climb and climb, and it's like, okay, you're on a little platform, you got to wait for your stamina to recharge. Every windmill in Dying Light 2 has a set minimum of stamina you have to get to before you're allowed to climb it but you don't know that when you start to climb it because of the way the level system is different in dying light 2 you're capped at a certain amount total number of stamina and you need this minimum stamina to climb this actual object in there which kills free roaming so you're forced to do story stuff and if what kind of open world quote-unquote game limits the, your ability to explore the open world I don't think that concept in and of itself kills free roaming, but if they told you ahead of time, it doesn't tell you ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it did. Honestly, it's been a while since I played it, but I, kind of, I kind of thought there was a, a level cap no. either on the map or whatnot. But I don't know for sure, so I can't refute it. But the, the problem is that the they put these, yeah, they put those windmills where you need to have increased stamina at very early parts of the game. Yeah. And if they put those in the outer edges of the map where you're not going to be, you know, exploring until much later on when you're presumably at a higher level, then that would be one thing. But yeah, I had a bro- I I had a major problem with that too because I <laughs> the first time I encountered I spent like 15 minutes trying to climb a windmill and then yes. I realized, oh wait, yeah, I can't do this. I don't have enough stamina. So, yeah, that's an issue. And, and the actual story mission, I, I don't know, I just find... I, I'm going to go back to it. I'm not abandoning Dying Light 2, but I was uh, I was trying to kind of rush through it, and I just kind of hit a wall of... St- a stamina wall, if you will. 
Because, you know, in the previous game, I was able to pretty much almost do everything I wanted to do. And then at my leisure did story missions. This one's like, no fucker, you don't have enough anything to do if you don't do story missions. So like, man, I don't like being limited like that. And for the other side, the Callisto Protocol, it was just, fuck you, the game. It's like, oh, you know, you're not have enough health. You don't have enough bullets. It takes too long to kill this one creature. Hey, here's another creature from right behind you. Here's a room full of enemies. It's just frustration and compiled upon frustration. I didn't feel too much better about Callisto Protocol uh, than you did. I I thought it was a halfway decent game. Um, I I like I like the idea that concept was more melee focused than uh, most a lot of survival horror games, but the dodging and weaving mechanic got extremely repetitive and at times just looked silly. And it was kind of broken, too, because you could ostensibly just sit there and press left and le- left left stick, right on the left stick, and just dodge forever and never get hit. Mm-hmm. So it just, Except by the enemy that appeared behind you, but yes. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it just got really old and they didn't, I, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and compare it to Dead Space because that's what this obviously is. It's made mm-hmm. by the guy i don't know was he the director of the original or uh glenn schofield game director of the first dead space yes yeah it, it just seemed like he wanted to revisit the glory days of dead space but it's this game that came out in 2022 is inferior inferior to the original dead space which was what yes. 08 09 something like that and and the remake that did just come out as of time of this recording and there's just there's not enough variety in the combat and not enough variety in the weapons. It's a very good looking game. I'll I will give it that. It, mm-hmm. It's graphics are astounding. The the characters look extremely realistic for better or worse. All four of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't need to do a whole lot of touching up <laughs> on that. The overall environments. They look good, but I can't say they were all that memorable, to be honest. I, the only thing, it's just, it's a lot of very bland and dark corridors dirty going corridors. around. Dirty corridors. Dirty, dirty always. Um, the only places that really stuck out to me were when you go outside the base and then you're outside in the storm. And that's pretty cool. And then when you're down the sewers. But other than that, a lot of cookie cutter kind of, cookie cutter corridors that you go down and the story was just guys gets thrown into a situation that he's not prepared for and has no idea and he you know all these i, I don't even know what they called the monsters in the game in the they had a name I, I don't know. I was asking you. Uh, I don't think they had a name. Yeah, they might not have. But, yeah, there's some virus that broke out on this prison. He gets thrown in. Then he has to escape. And he, you know, like you said, meets a handful of people. And that's about it. And... Yeah, you were saying you were saying how the, the game was more melee focused. Until the final boss. Who you can't melee because he has a one-hit kill. So you have to use guns on him. Well, if you were good enough. But, yeah, it's... It's much easier to use weapons on him. But for the most part, which is another bad game design, 
uh, style and and not just you know, unique to this game is when you you're, you play a certain way for the majority of a game and then the very very end you have to change it up and do something mm. completely different is is not good but yeah and then the and then the very end the they, they tried to pull where he was a delivery guy and he unknowingly delivered this virus or whatever it was that infected the whole station and they tried to guilt him into that guilt the main character and i guess he fell for it he's just kind of like no no this is my fault i need to make up for it and he just hangs back and presumably dies um but yeah it just felt inferior to dead space in in every every aspect uh yeah i hated it uh worst game of the year no most disappointing absolutely because i was really looking forward to playing that for many months and then when i played it i was like fuck i wish you guys spent more time making a better game there was a lot of build-up to that game which really really surprised me and and i Sometimes you understand hype, like Hogwarts Legacy, and sometimes hype comes out of fucking nowhere. It just seemed like... It seemed like when everybody gets excited for the next Christopher Nolan movie, no matter what it is, <laughs> it's, it's almost as if some people saw Glenn Schofield's name and were really, really excited, and more so because it was a survival horror game, and I guess people were convinced that, oh, well, he knocked it out of the park with Dead Space, so this is going to be another... another great game too so but yeah it just yeah i was i was milk toast about it for the most uh, part any any more bad things or can we get to the middle tier of games uh not too bad but i just wanted to make some of my own uh remarks about dying like two i won't i was a little oh, good, good. i was a little more positive on it than you were <laughs> but i will yeah i will concede that there was some very very bad game design and limiting of the the free the free world exploration uh i did think personally i thought overall it was it was like the parkour was improved over the first game i thought there was a lot more options mm. as far as abilities and gear you could use to get around like the parachute the zip lines uh wall running was another cool addition the weapons i thought were they were they handled a lot better they they felt a lot better every the i think i thought it did the melee combat better than callisto did and i like how there was a distinction between types of weapons in this game where the one-handed weapons were fast and quick but didn't do a lot of damage and they could break pretty pretty quickly and the two-handers were a lot sturdier but slower and powerful and they actually did very well at crowd controlling, which they absolutely did not in the previous game. It always annoyed me about that. And the guns felt better too. It, they put a, little, put a little more thought into that. Um, the aim aim button was not R3 or whatever it was in the first game. It's There's a lot more skyscrapers and there's a lot more verticality and it can be very annoying trying to find the best way to get up get up yes. to these places in fact i didn't i mean i played a lot of dying like two but i didn't explore every single itch because it's not always obvious of what you need to do to get to a certain place and i think this i don't know i guess the story was better uh again i 
I don't remember too much about I, it. I haven't, it was more personal. I haven't finished it, but I'm not willing to say that yet. Because I really... I don't know if you remember the story of Dying Light 1, but I really like it a lot. I, it's got a great character arcs. It's got cool NPCs. You're like, oh no, that, char- that, that character I actually like died. It, uh, it, it did have a pretty decent story. It was better than I expected in the first game. And I think 2 is pretty good. You know, I it's up to personal preference if you you know what which one you like better, but it was very it was a lot more personal than Kyle Crane's adventure since hmm. Aiden was looking the protagonist for two is looking for his missing sister, and there is a clear antagonist from very from beginning middle and the very end, and it's very satisfying when you're finally able to kill him and uh, succeed. Spoilers. <laughs> But I thought they, I thought they kind of did a lot of side characters dirty. They, they introduced some fairly interesting characters with pretty neat backstories and understandable motivations. But then some, a lot of the times they just kind of got sidelined and forgotten about. And I just, I thought it was a very missed opportunity. And it's just then they, oh, what's her name? Actress's name? I can never remember the R something. Yeah, she she appears about halfway through the game as another uh, runner. I can't remember the name for him, but it seems like the the game's focus just shifts onto her and helping you deal with all her problems. And I just kind of like trying to it's like, well, I I was kind of more interested in these other people over here, but I guess the game doesn't care about him anymore. So we paid for the actress, so we're gonna use her. Yeah, very much. Overall, I was I was I was positive about Dying Light 2. I thought it was a fine game. I'm I'm willing to of, of all the bad games I played, that's the only one I'm willing to come back to at some point when I color a little more hard drive space. Oh my god! Oh, <clears throat> okay. I'm sorry. I need to make an amendment. Uh, Valkyrie Legion was not the worst game I played this this year. You know what it was? Hmm. I can't believe I forgot. Overwatch 2. Oh, it's the worst game I played this year. I came out in 2022. It did. Now you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, Stizzy. Overwatch has been around for years. 2016 came out. Well, yes. <laughs> it was your game of the did. year that year. And I know I just called you viewers, even though this is the podcast, but roll with me. This is Overwatch 2. How is it different? Well, it's worse than the original. <laughs> so give us more money. It eliminates one uh, team player. Yes, it eliminates one tank, so every game you were living and dying by one tank. And if that tank sucks, or at the very best is worse than the other team's tank, then it's game over. You're just, nine times out of ten, probably more than that, you're going to lose. And you're not going to have a good time. It switched to -to free-to-play, so... Which means free-to-pay. Yes, free to pay. And it also means that, that $40, $50, $60 you spent on Overwatch 1, eh, sorry, you can't play that game anymore. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So you throw your money away. You cannot earn cosmetics from leveling. In the previous game, they had a loot box system, which was not perfect, but at least it, you could earn loot boxes while leveling, and there was a chance you could get cosmetics, and at the very least you could earn credits. Which, if you earned enough, you could buy cosmetics. Well, in this game, 
the only way you can earn credits are from your weekly challenges. And they reset, as you might imagine, every week. And the most you can earn in a week is 30 credits, last I checked. And I don't think that's improved, because I have not played it in months. It has a battle pass that you of course. have to pay for if you want to get anything decent. If you're just playing, if you don't buy it and you're playing for free, then you're just going to, well, you're going to get even shittier awards. Um, and you, I think we both, you and I, Loki, both hate the the battle pass as a whole, you know, just as a concept and, an, and yes. practice and all that. But since it's not a perfect world and we have to sometimes we have to accept things as they are, I'm willing to accept battle passes if you can earn back what you put into them. Say in like Red Dead Redemption 2, you need to pay a certain amount mm. of gold to purchase the battle pass. Well, if you level up every single level in that battle pass, you will earn that gold back in its entirety. Which it, you know, Again, don't like it, but hey, at least you can make back what you earn. But this game, you cannot earn back money. You have to either spend real money, which you're not getting back, either in the form of actual currency or in-game currency or even cosmetics. And the only, the most reliable way to get con cosmetics are from the marketplace which are um, extremely overpriced. The mm -hmm. legendary skins cost $20. That's not even an exaggeration there. They cost $20. And it's just it, it, it's just a ripoff in every sense of the word. And it's just it's in, it, it is inferior to the first game. In every aspect that there's a there's a larger i don't know if we want to get into it here but there's a larger issue i think with the battle pass idea overall that isn't just endemic to overwatch 2 or rather specific to overwatch 2 but endemic of the industry and anytime you have a live service game that continues on someone says okay how do we keep this going battle pass okay what do we put in that battle pass cosmetics so I have less of a problem with Battle Pass if it gives you shit that's beyond cosmetics, something like a Battlefield or a Call of Duty. But if it's just paint, why are you paying so much more extra money for paint? I can't... I was, Fortnite, I think, has ruined everything in terms of further live service games. Every live service game... There have been five... I told you this the other week. In the last two months that we we're recording this, five live service games are going out. They're being canceled, they're being removed, delisted, because they can't maintain success. Like, everyone wants that Fortnite money, and, you know, even Activision Blizzard, whether or not they're going to get required by Microsoft, wants that money from Battle Pass users who just want prettier paint. And that's my major issue with the Battle Pass system. That seems a real problem with Overwatch 2. Yeah, I, I, think, I think for the most part, people are just, most people are getting burnt out on the Battle Passes and spending so much money, but the 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 reason these battle passes are able to survive and sometimes thrive for as long as they have is because they don't need 99% of people to be on board with it to be successful they just need like a little tiny like 2 or 3% who spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars 
on this shit, this, like he's called it, paint. That's how, I mean, that's how the shark cards in GTA work. At least in the, yes. at least in GTA, you can actually buy weapons and vehicles and actual in-game stuff. It's not just cosmetic. It's, um, actual tangible benefits, but yeah, I, I hope it's a, it's a encouraging trend, I think. And I hope, you know, hope more, more, more gamers wise up to these practices. And I mean, I don't, I know this gets a lot of thrown around a lot with big corporations. Now I don't Fortnite, Fortnite might be too big of a beast to ever go down. <laughs> it will eventually, I think, but it's going to be a while. Um, but it's I, I, all these other tiny little monsters just trying to pick up after its leavings. I think they're learning pretty quickly that they need to actually, in order to achieve sustainability, they actually need content. They, they actually need to make a worthwhile product mm-hmm. and they, they cannot just, just throw out these empty shell, these pretty empty shell of games and expect players to be invested in them. So, All right, that's enough crap. Now on to the stuff that's just okay. Just what you've been uh, waiting for, folks. Uh, no, no, no I, was, I was totally ready for you to go off on Overwatch because I know you're passionate about it. So, uh, The way I arrange my silly little list here, because I don't often take notes for these shows, I've arranged them into like low-tier, mid-tier, high-tier. We talked about the low, that's enough of that. And now the middle tier. And at the bottom of the middle tier is something related to the low tier. It's Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Uh, you and I played through most of this together. Um, as I said before, it's the best of the Borderlands formula and the worst of it. And by that I mean the humor and the jokes and the writing and the characters. All that is bad and I have nothing good to say about it. Oh, yeah. The shooting, the mechanics... The, the new magic and shield system, the different classes, the multi-classes, all that's really great, and I wish they would expand on that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. It, it felt like they they were able to incorporate a lot of fantasy elements really seamlessly for, for the most part. The only thing I was disappointed in is, and maybe this sounds dumb since it's a Borderlands game, is... <laughs> There were a tad too many guns for my taste, uh, but yeah, that that just that kind of seems like a disingenuous yeah, the, criticism. The melee is not super viable either because they're all slow, no matter what kind of axe or sword or knife or whatever. I was able to, I mean, I I was able to make a pretty good, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty good little berserker character who did quite a bit of damage, but I you have to heavily invest in one the class tree, system, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, the overall story of the characters were... Ugh, I've got just, nothing good to say. Yeah, it was pretty much just... It's just the worst of Borderlands writing these days. Other than new... T- of the, let's just take the four... Well, Borderlands 1, 2, 3, uh, pre-sequel, and this one. It's the worst of the five. I thought it was a step up from three, but not by much. <laughs> no, we laughed. At, we made our own fun in three. You, I don't want to repeat the jokes we made here. But we had fun in three, you and I. Well, it's true, yeah. I don't know if we smiled playing Wonderlands beyond what shit we were saying to each other. Because every time someone would talk, I'd go, Ugh. 
It was almost a joke in and of itself for me to be irritated by whatever terrible thing Tina just said. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, three, you know, a character would say or do something and then you could, you could joke about it. But hmm. in Wonderlands, you just kind of rolled your eyes and thought, okay, just on to the next objective. <laughs> Let's move on. Please. Uh, so, yes, if they expand, if they abandon Borderlands, which at this point I'm all for, and focus on Wonderlands, cool. Hire new writers, for the love of God. Yeah, and I, it, sorry, I was just going to say, it, it seemed like the reception of Wonderlands was overall pretty positive, but. It sold well, yes. But you would not. You would not think that just judging on how how they treated their post launch content. They Oh man, that's that season pass. Ooh boy. Yeah, in previous Borderlands they usually do they usually do pretty good as far as DLC goes. You're always getting new levels and new story content, new weapons and all that, but for Waterlands it was just more levels. That was it was just the horde mode again. Uh, over and over and over again so it was very disappointing game development is a a different beast than say movies or tv or even music because 2022 was the first year i noticed this in credits for video games where they started saying hey we worked on this from home because corona this wasn't an issue two years ago this wasn't an issue in 2021 because those games take years to make right so in 2022 was the first batch of this game is shit because we worked on it from home and we couldn't go to the office. So we're probably going to see a little bit more of that here in 23. As far as excuses, because movies, Lord knows, movies have been using that excuse for a while now. Yeah, and, and maybe that's that's probably a lot of the reason why a lot of games that were supposed to release in 2022 were pushed back into 23, which was probably should have mentioned that at the start, start of the show. And that's why this year was not didn't quite live up to the promise that you know, we were sold. I don't... I'm going to keep using this phrase I hate. It was very mid. It was a mid-year. <laughs> yes. Speaking of mid, what's more of the mid-games that you play? Uh, this is where I have Valkyrie Elysium. Mm-hmm. So, I agree with everything you said. I don't really have any disagreements. I, I did enjoy my time playing it. I really liked... Uh, I can't remember what they call... I can't actually remember her name. It was Nora Maria. That one guy I kept calling Maria. I think her name was Nora. Her model was great. They actually like put freckles and pepperly on her tongue and shit. I was like, wow, they spent more time on her than they did the game. Uh, it's a fun little hack and slash. You could do other things while playing it. It didn't take a lot of brain, although it could get difficult in the higher, basically, horde mode. It's, it's a hack and slash. It's a brawler. It's a brainless game that you can play for a couple hours and not think too hard about. And I've said for years, like we need mid-level games that you don't need to think too hard about. Because so many games that I own require full brain power, full concentration. Yeah, I guess since uh, Elysium got dethroned mid-episode by Overwatch <laughs> 2 as worst game, I, I guess I would put it recategorize it in the middle tier. And I will agree, she was the Valkyrie, Nora, whatever her name was. She she was actually pretty cute. Uh, I, I will give it that. Um, I, I, we, I, I was saying this earlier, we do like, I really like the, I don't know if it's ink wash, I don't know what's called, cell shaded, the painting, everything kind of had that aspect, we saw this in the demo. Everything looks like a weird painting, like a painted world of Aramis or something from Dark Souls. It's like, uh, something about that art style, it's like, oh, this is neat, I like looking at this. Yeah, everything also kind of had a, a dark out- outline to it as mm-hmm, well. Yes. And it was kind of, it, it was kind of jarring when I first saw it, because it, it 
it was very different from what I'm used to in most games, but got used to it eventually. It wasn't a big deal. And like you said, kind of gave it almost sort of a semi comic book feel to it. Um, but uh, I, I will say this. I, I hope I don't have, I haven't seen any sales numbers for this game. I, I don't, I don't expect it did very well, but if it's, if it has generated interest in this franchise again, then I'll take that as a positive. Uh, my, my only caveat is, I hope so too, but it's a Square Enix game, and every non-JRPG Square Enix game that's come out in the last few years is, it didn't meet our expectations. I think they're about to have another one that's going to do that again. Yeah, no, they kind of, they do just just throw darts at the board, and if it, you know doesn't hit exactly the target they want then they just abandon it so yeah who, who knows for the future i mean this this game was 16 years after it's since the predator the, came the psp out. one yeah. yeah so they'll they'll they will sit on franchises that's for sure well we're in our middle tier look here loki and i just got a few left in here mm-hmm. uh first one was a game i came out very early last year trek to yomi and it was it was an indie game. It's is it was a fun kind of side scroll and hack and slash. This is the black and white samurai game. Yeah, yeah, the very classic Kurosawa samurai film inspired aesthetic with just a little pinch of the supernatural added mm. in there to give it a little extra little extra spice and it was pretty enjoyable pretty fun it was it didn't take a whole long a uh, whole long to play pretty short game but it had a pretty good little story about revenge a pretty decent little character arc and yeah it was it's just little little fun little game just a little palate cleanser uh, to mix in with all these bigger titles so i i enjoy it the you don't play a lot of small games (laughs) no no and i i I will say i was mostly attracted to the uh, the samurai and the supernatural tones of this game was why i was so interested in it so but it was a lot of fun the 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 combat could feel feel and look a little janky at times but I guess that's to be expected on a smaller project like this, but uh, yeah, I got everything I needed out of it, so that was a fun game. Um, Another mid-tier game I played, and I guess you'd categorize it as a semi, I guess it was an indie game, was a game called Stray, which excited a lot of people, because in Stray, you get to play as a cat. And a a post-apocalyptic world where there are no humans, but there are robots running around because, as we all know, robots love cats. Sure. Is it a robot cat or just like a regular cat? It was a regular cat. No. But it had a little harness, and in that harness it had a little pouch, and in the pouch... Had a little had a little robot, a little drone that would scan things for you and translate crap. Because I guess robots can speak cats, you know, the cat language. It was a fun little game. It was it was it, 
be playing as a cat offered as a, a different perspective and you had to kind of think differently than you would in most games when it came to puzzle solving and even though the world was over it was a very just a very calm mellow atmosphere not you know the stakes weren't too high there were some sort of actiony parts where you know you'd have to run past these kind of these alien bacteria eaters i can't remember what they're called but they look like <laughs> they look like little jello monsters but uh yeah it was just it was just a chill game there's kind of a subset of indie games where you play as some kind of animal i know there's one where you play as like ancient monkeys where the fuck just some kind of monkey there's various ones that you play as like deer solving puzzles and they're, and they're always this kind of i don't want, I want to say stories like this but they're always kind of chill sometimes stills little puzzle solving games and they've never attracted me whatsoever so i saw stray and i was like nah but uh, hey if you enjoyed it it's great also my experience with cats irl is much worse than your experience with cats irl well i love cats so i really i just i i enjoyed just going up and kneading everything and sitting on a couch and just purring away and just being a cat, being a chill, cool cat. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, my next mid game, the higher mid, is the most maligned game of 2022, Saints Row Reboot. It's a lot better than the internet might have you think, but it is still plenty jank. The dialogue is really bad. It isn't terribly funny, but it's not awful. Um, I think there is some humor, some good humor in it. There's a lot of fun in it. The mission structure is varied. You know, it's a very, you know, if you're for negative, a grindy kind of game and where you're, you're going to have to do a lot of stuff to earn a lot of money to buy the higher level stuff. And it doesn't quite hit the same highs as like Saints Row 3 or even the worst parts of 4 would. But I think there's a lot of there's enough good in Saints Row. It did very badly, so it's probably the end of the franchise. But it was prejudged, I think, on some really stupid ass things the developers said before the game came out, and that certainly didn't help the marketing. And then it came out, you know, fairly glitchy. Yes, every major game has glitches now, whether or not we like it. But uh, I really enjoyed Saints Row. I'd go back to it and try to hundred percent it. It's not perfect, but it is a high mid tier game. Well, it's a good thing you enjoyed it, because I don't think a lot of other people did. And No, I, I don't know if this is getting any more support, and probably not another game. Yeah, and for a reboot, I think you have to consider that, from a developer standpoint, as a failure. Mm. Because you... Well, the, the studio got acquired, so yes, techni by technical definition, it was. Yeah, and as far as I know, it didn't sell very well either, and mm -mm. at least the main perception online which you know it's you don't want to you know, always want to take it with a grain of salt but yeah i just don't think this game is just i don't think it's gonna launch a new rebooted saints row franchise so not likely which sucks because I, I had fun with it but it was it did not start off well and the behind the scenes developers basically telling their audience to fuck off is not a good idea for anyone to do that 
uh, movies have been learned that hard lesson last year. No, developers may not like what a lot of their fan base says, but they will listen to the money. And mm. because the money never lies. Yes. And if it's not going over here, then they're just publishers are just going to shoot it over there. <laughs> you know, give it to another uh, studio who makes a, a, you would, another kind of game. I would say there might be hope, you know, for the Volition who made it. I know they laid off a bunch of staff and they got, a, the thing is they got acquired by Gearbox. So I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> Yeah, well, it may give a Gearbox an opportunity to work on something besides Borderlands. For, well, for maybe they'll exchange writers and the other team will work for their writers. Or uh, maybe a crossover that nobody ever knew they wanted. More guns in Saints Row is fine. There's plenty of silly guns. It is It is not quite as goofy as like 3 and especially 4 got to be. But it's plenty goofy. But uh, it has very... Uh, not to give the game away here, but it has a very certain kind of political leaning, shall we say. I won't say which direction, but it certainly no does. No way. It certainly leans that way. Not heavy. Not heavy like New Tales or anything. But it's there. Uh, you, you said you have one more mid? Uh, yes. Yeah, my last I put in the middle tier game, and I'd say this is probably high mid, would be The Quarry. Which was another is a, another super massive get develop games developed game. Well, they they were pumping them out in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, they've been they've been throwing out these the anthology series, the dark pitch dark pictures anthology. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And I've played the first three of those games, and I've really enjoyed them. And because I'm just I'm kind of a sucker for the cheesy supernatural horror you know, cinematic kind of games. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, I don't want to say derivative makes it sound like a bad thing, but I don't mean it in this way, but they're all kind of derivative of Until Dawn. Like they had a hit with Until Dawn, so they've been trying to kind of sort of recreate that formula. Yeah, and the, the, these uh, games in the anthology, they're a lot shorter than Until Dawn and The Quarry, game, uh, game length-wise, and the... Excuse me. The uh, the motion capture and the the facial motion capture is not quite as good, and the lip sync isn't as good as those other games. You can tell not as many resources were devoted to the, the to the anthology series, but uh, mm-hmm. but they were to the quarry, which kind of it feels the quarry feels like a true sequel to Until Dawn, even though characters and story have nothing to do with each other. Largely the same cast, from what I can tell. A lot of the same people. True. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of a staple of the supermassive games. They, they, I guess they like certain actors, and they just keep throwing them out there. And if they even look remotely like they could pass for a teenager, then <laughs> that that qualifies them for for the job. And the quarry has plenty of cheesy teenage angst and drama and. Even though I hated it in high school, I love it in video game format for whatever reason. It's a guilty well, pleasure it had, of mine. Well, in your high school, you didn't have like a serial killing ghost trying to kill all of you, so I assume. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't hunting me down at least. So, <laughs> but yeah, I thought this was another really good addition, and it had a really had probably my favorite cast of characters from any of these supermassive game games. 
and they were, you know, they all yeah, had the, you know, all typecasted. You got the, you got the jock and the cheerleader, the popular girl, and then you got the artsy girl, and then you got the sensitive, funny guy, all that jazz. Nobody ever asked, why are we all friends? Yes, yeah. Although in this game, they're all camp counselors, and some of them know each other from school, but most of them are strangers that just kind of been around each other for a couple months, so hmm. there's uh, plenty of opportunities for tensions to rise and for heads to butt. But, yeah, I thought it had pretty decent suspense, some good jump scares, some creepy environments, and it looked amazing. The graphics were outstanding in this in this mm-hmm. game. The the only thing that's really ever held me back from these anthology games or the quarry, I, I enjoyed Until Dawn just fine, but the controller thing of like, I'm cool with quick time events. I'm not cool with put your controller down and don't touch it to hold your breath. Yeah, I don't think the developers were either because they axed that mechanic okay, good. <laughs> from, from after Until Dawn that hasn't been around for any of the previous games. And it's mostly just just QTE button prompts whenever they come up and it's, they're all, or maybe hold down a button for a certain length of time. It's all, it's pretty easy, but what made this, what made the quarry different from those previous games is for until dawn, you didn't really, the only way to really fail is if you fucked up like you, you know, what we're talking about, the button mechanic shit, Mm -hmm. you know, if you'd like the actual, gameplay quote-unquote part of it if you messed up then someone died it almost didn't really matter what choice you made i think there may may have been one or two in until dawn that uh, you need to make in order to for everyone to survive but right in the quarry a lot of times i had no idea what was the right thing to do and i think i i ended up getting like half my cast killed <laughs> off <laughs> and it felt you know it felt very organic and it was it was it was almost more it was more challenging in that way because i was as far as the quick time events i pretty much aced them all but yeah in any situation i just wasn't really 100 percent positive like what do i do here and although in fairness there was uh there was one instance where the bitchy gal there was a she was in this abandoned cabin and there was a there was a hatch in the ceiling and the hatch was rattling very, very, very loudly. And I thought, okay, there's something bad up there. And if I open it, she's going to die. So I was like, you know what, honey, why don't you just go up and open that? See what's up there. <laughs> and sure enough, next thing you knew, she's getting her, her throat ripped out and dead. I thought, yep, that's what I wanted. You're a bad person. I, I am. She actually just earlier, you were saying, Oh, I like being a little kitty cat. And now you're like tearing their throats. Hey, there's there's many facets to my personality, <laughs> but yeah, it was a it was a fun game. I that's all I really want from these supermassive games, and they keep, you know, they're good at what they do, and they keep delivering. So, I'll 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 keep playing them. So, uh, now that you've told me that there's no putting down the controller, I'm I'm significantly more interested in it because that was genuinely my biggest gripe with uh, Until Dawn. Uh, yeah, it's very slow paced and just button pre- presses, but yeah, the gameplay couldn't be simpler in this one. So, uh, my highest mid tier, I could be argued to put it in the high, Sifu. 
Uh, my gripe with this game, the, the biggest negative I have to say about it is length. It's unbelievably short. But the whole idea is, oh, you play it again when, you know, it's, it's a pseudo-roguelike. It's like, well, no, not really, because you've kind of already got the gift, the grip, rather, once you go through it the first time. You know, replayability is more about mastery and how good you are at the combat and self-challenges. I know they've been updating it uh, throughout the year. It was like little replay editors and stage modifiers and, you know, one-hit kill, knockout sort of stuff. But it's very simple game not e certainly not an easy game but a very simple game to understand and get through and then beat in like four hours uh but i did really enjoy it and i absolutely would play it again so that's why i have it in the top of the middle so to speak yeah i think i would put it personally in my high tier uh i thought it was the it's one of the best beat-em-ups i've ever played and i will agree it's it's a very short game and it's a very simple game but I think, I think what it sets out to do, I think it just knocks knocks it out of the park. I think mm -hmm. it, I think it's fantastic. the The fighting felt fast, responsive, and weighty, and was absolutely brutal at times, especially the finishers. A neat the the revival system in the game was pretty neat little mechanic, I will say. It added a lot of high. Like, kind of like high stakes, high rewards benefits to it. You know, the, mm -hmm. you know, you get multiple lives, but if you keep dying, then the number of years, you know, the number of times you die get added to the number of years you get aged up. Mm -hmm. You become an older and slower, but stronger person. Yeah. I don't know if your speed's affected, but yeah, you get less health and, but you do take, you do do more damage. But another thing that made the game really challenging was the AI. The AI in this game does not sit there and let you just wail on people. They will come at you very aggressively. And you just, they get, the enemy types get, as you progress through the game, get, you know, tougher and tougher and tougher. And it's, it takes a, you know. It, it is, it is not a button mashing type of game. No. It is a game that says, no fucker, you're going to learn these combos or you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, and I enjoy that, and I think it adds. I think it adds to the talent, uh, the the challenge of the game, hmm. and it felt like, yeah, it, it just it felt like kind of a uh, free roaming fighting game in that regard. It's just you had to learn about timing and spacing, and the you know what combination combination moves would be best for what situation using the environment. Just all that comes into play and. You know, learning, you know, playing the game over, over and over again, just it never felt repetitive to me, at least, I, even though it's such a short game and the levels aren't very big by any means. Aesthetic wise, it's, it's similar to like an early, well, like a middle level Jackie Chan or an early Jet Li movie. And it's, you know, very corridor focused, not a lot of super open areas. You're fighting one person, you're fighting two people, you're in a dance club fighting 10 people at once, having to adjust, you know your parry time and blocking and throwing and you know it's, it's i don't want to say it's like a dance sometimes but sometimes martial arts films are like a dance yeah a, a lot of felt like it was kind of impromptu choreography going on there with the game and and i i thought the aesthetics of a lot of the levels all felt very unique and they you know they all had their own unique theme surrounding them you know 
and uh, they were just in the music. The music score uh, really added into it. It was kind yes. of like a mix of like hip hop, house music, and a lot of I don't know how you categorize it into a genre, but like like Oriental instrumental type music. Traditional um, Chinese, sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, I'm sorry, I don't know names a lot of the a lot of the instruments. So, but, sorry, this is a Chinese uh, era. I don't know shit. I only know Japanese things. Yeah, yes. This, the most Chinese I know is from Dynasty Warriors. Sorry. Yeah, we're Japanese weeps on this show, not <laughs> Chinese weeps. But and the bosses were extremely tough, and they yes. got progressively tougher as the game went on, and it felt extremely satisfying when you finally were able to learn the mechanics and able to take them down reliably and it was yeah it was it was just a very extremely satisfying game to play and get better yeah i I would more and more i'd absolutely play a game and play it again and try maybe 100 percent it did you you played it i did yeah yeah yeah, it just it just takes a it just takes practice. I think the I think the hardest one I'd say probably is getting through the whole game uh, under the age of twenty five. That means yeah, not yeah, not dying very. You can't. I think you can only die maybe three times. That's about it. Hmm. Yeah, that's the max. So, but yeah, super super fun game. Uh, I want to give some special shout outs now to games I did not complete but I think have potential to be good. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I stopped two levels from the finish, and then I said, yeah, I'm done. Maybe that one doesn't have potential to be good. Uh, Star Wars and the Divine Force is a very long JRPG. It's going to take me 100 fucking hours to get it, so I didn't have time. Uh, Sonic Frontiers, I barely scratched the surface of. I, I played it too late in the year. Same for Soul Hackers 2, another JRPG. Uh, I played too late in the year. I, just, I didn't have time to finish it. Sorry. By the time the show is being recorded, so sorry. Uh, controversial pick, maybe Vampires: The Masquerade Swan Song. I think there's a lot of narrative potential in this game that's hampered by not great gameplay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't finish that either, and I would. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to, but yeah. Yeah. I think you put it best. There's a lot of jank. Yes, it's a very janky game. That's probably the the jankiest game I've enjoyed what I did play. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a smaller studio, lower budget. Just a cool world and interesting scenarios. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's, I don't know. I think if I'd given the opportunity, I would take the other side, right? I'd like a great game with a shit story rather than a great story with a shit game. I think you would agree to that, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it when it's both. But, uh... Yeah, I don't expect both ever. Yeah. See, I just it's one of those things like you wouldn't. It's like at this stage in uh, game, video game development history, it seems like it'd be easier to make a better game than to write a good story <laughs> and characters. Uh, maybe that's extremely ignorant of me because neither are quote unquote easy or anything. But when it's a video game and the primary draw is playing the game itself. You want that to be fun and enjoyable. And if you can get good writers and story, you know, stories, then yeah, that's makes it even better. Mm-hmm. My, uh, we're not going to bring too much of this in here, but one of the things I like to fight about with people on the internet is gameplay versus narrative. 
you know, people will say, oh, the story of this game is like, yeah, but it was boring as fuck. It's like, it wasn't fun to play. It's like, oh, but it made me feel emotions. It's like, cool, good for you. Lots of things can make you feel emotions. Meh. Uh, See, I do... Are we... You say, I do believe you, but you do also like visual novels. Yes, but I know what I'm getting into there. I know exactly what the gameplay is going to be. I don't have any pretensions. I've never put a visual novel in, you know, the top tiers of games ever. Anytime we've done this. That's true. That's fair enough. I'm consistent in that fact. I like fun above all. These next few games we're going to talk about are the fun above all category. Yeah, I just want to mention one game I played but haven't finished. I just started too late. It was uh, Pokemon Scarlet. And it's... I, I I do not judge Pokemon games nearly as harshly as the Hive <laughs> The rest of the internet. <laughs> um, I just want... I just want to be able to catch Pokemon and I want some decent designs in the new new crop of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of kind of so-so on this new one i haven't caught them all because i haven't i've only i played like 10 hours of it but you know i haven't gotten nearly near the end or anything like that but so far it's fun but this is one of the few times where the internet was not wrong about the technical snafus of a game Mm -hmm. it's really bad in scarlet it just it runs like absolute garbage and the one of the one of the worst things is when you see an NPC that is quite literally 10 feet away from you that looks like a slideshow. That's the an- the animation is that bad. It's oh god, it is not good and it just it's it's just it's not even cuz it's a graphically intensive game. It's just because Nintendo or Game Freak they just don't feel bothered to to uh God, I had the fucking word, and I just dropped it. Optimize it. They just did not just did not bother optimizing this game. And it still sells well. Yes, yeah, and I. It's just the only thing I can think of is they, they just feel like they don't have to, because yeah. idiots like me will just gobble it up like fucking hotcakes, <laughs> and they're thinking, okay, let's just just see how much garbage we can see, you know, stuffing down their craw. I think it's better to assume incompetence than malice, but uh, maybe not when your game freak is concerned. Yeah, when you literally are creating the games of the most successful entertainment franchise, is that how? It, I, I can't remember the exact. They make a shit ton of. Money. They've like like made the most money of anything. I don't in the know world that ever. I don't know that Pokemon is the number one brand, but it's the number one video game brand. It's it's up there. They got a shit ton of money, and it's just it seems like a poor re- representation. But like I said, I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna boycott the game. I'm still playing it. I'm still enjoying it because you know I like catching Pokemon. You know that's it, it, all it is. Yeah, long time fan. It's totally yeah. cool. Uh, you anything to admit? Are we going to the highs? No, I was just I was gonna tra- uh I was going to just transition to the highs or the lower highs I'd call (laughs) another Pokemon game that came out earlier in 2022 Pokemon Pokemon Arceus was and I really really enjoyed it and this was the quote-unquote open world Pokemon game yes yes I I would I would classify it as that but technically it's just it's large open areas it's not technically one 
large open connected cohesive world. world. Um, the only th- the main disappointment I had with this game is it doesn't actually technically add new Pokemon. It just adds evolutional evolutionary variations, if you want to call them. It would like like it would take. Scyther, who's a pretty, you know, well-known Pokemon, he has an evolved form. It's called Cleaver in, in this game, and it's just, it's just, it's just a rock type. They just change whatever his <laughs> elemental type is, and that's it. You know, gave him a slightly different design or whatnot, but it's a, it's mostly the same Pokemon in this game. But what I really enjoyed about this game was the new catching system, where you could just go out and throw... You could see Pokemon in the wild, and you could just throw Pokemon at them, or Pokeballs at them, and just catch them out in the wild. No need to battle or anything. If you wanted to I battle, recall, you could. I recall... Uh, I don't know how to say this nicer. People talking shit about the game because of that mechanic, because they thought they took it from the mobile game Pokemon Go, or the Let's Go games for, for little kids on the Switch and stuff. Well, maybe they did. Which I would say, who gives a shit? I like it. It's fine. I don't. I don't want to have to be bogged down by a getting into a battle with just some random every oddish. single rando you see. Yeah. Yeah, just some. Yeah, like an oddish I run into every now and then. I just sometimes I just want to catch Pokemon, and it's catching Pokemon in bunches is it's an, it's uh, integral in this game because you get this. You've got to fill in this this field research report, and the be- you know, the way to do that you do that is just by catching a lot of the same type of Pokemon. So yeah, it makes sense that they want some way to expedite that process and not having to yeah just battle every single Pokemon you run into. So I appreciated and, it. And like the meta narrative is like you're creating the first Pokedex, or like this is an ancient times before electronics or something. Yeah, yeah, it's way way pre-technology days you know the pokeballs are made out of wood and shit like that and you're you're all in wooden houses with thatched roofs and shit and yeah i think yeah you still got a professor you answer to and you're filling out what is the world's first pokedex and you explore uh gosh i can't think of the region's name but it's basically one of the regions of the previous games Sinnoh. And I don't know why they changed the name of it. Never, it never made sense to me. But um, some familiar, some familiar areas in the game. Although it's the first time we've ever seen them in a in a 3D world. Mm-hmm. Another thing, another thing I I wish was in in the game, but I, it's understandable it wasn't. Is that there are no gyms? I really like the gym battles in the Pokemon games. I think they're a good yardstick to see how your your team is stacked up to a certain point in the game mm-hmm. and they always, they always have pretty challenging fights for the most part the gym leaders do in this game there are there are trainers you do fight but they're very few and far between so a little disappointing well narratively that makes sense there's less masters because there's less time for mastery yeah yeah it's it's in it's a it's a time in the Pokemon universe where humans and Pokemon are still pretty estranged from each other. In fact, uh, a big theme in this game is a lot of a lot of humans are afraid of Pokemon because 
you know, they're just not used to living with them and they haven't integrated or anything in each other's worlds yet. So you're kind of, you're kind of going out and exploring and studying these Pokemon to bridge that gap. And it's got a pretty standard story. You just, you kind of go around these Pokemon start going crazy for no reason. You have to find out why. And it turns out it's the super powerful God Pokemon. And then you got to fight him and then catch capture him. And you just, you know, carrying Pokemon God around on, you know, your little Pokeball on your waist. That's all. That's yeah, as you do. And, uh, and, you know, performance and graphics were, you know, they're passable. They're better than Scarlet. Scarlet. They're better than Scarlet, which (laughs) is amazing. I don't know. Even though the games came out in the same year, it's, I just don't know. A team versus B team. It may be, it could be that. So, but I really enjoyed Arceus. Fun game. All right. Uh, a fun game that I think fails on the narrative a little bit. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo from the people who made Evil Within, Evil Within 2. Tango Gameworks. Uh, years and years ago when this game was first shown off, it was a lot, let's say, spookier than what the final product ended up being because direct it changed hands, basically. Directors let, left the project and Shinji, took, Shinji Mikami took over. And then somebody else actually took over. But uh, it's like a first-person magic shooter where you, a ghost possesses you and you have to capture other ghosts in a Maganagatami, a little paper thingy, and you release spirits. The main problem, I think, is also the main draw of the game is the loneliness of the city of Tokyo, particularly the Shibuya district. It's like, as... You've seen Shibuya in, like, Persona or one of the Yakuza games. Well, this is, like, puts you at street level in first person. You're walking around the you know, to our Americanized, weirdly designed streets and odd shops and all this kind of architecture that's just foreign. It's a foreign country. But there's no other people. There's there's a couple of NPCs you talk to throughout the narrative so often, but for the most part, you're just busting ghosts, shall we say. Uh, different kinds, you use different spells, different ways to capture them, upgrade upgrades and all that sort of shit. There's more of a standard kind of shooter than anything else that they've made before. Um, it's good... Uh, I'd probably play again, maybe 100% try it. I don't know how well it did. Uh, since then, Tango Gameworks under Bethesda has been acquired by Microsoft, so they're not making any more PlayStation games. So enjoy this one, because it's the last. Yeah, I was intrigued by Ghostwire when I first saw the uh, previews for it. I was, I, I, I don't know what the original vision what it was. I, I would imagine just more horror elements. There's very few horror elements in the final product. Yeah, this seems like just more just supernatural, not not so much horror or anything like that. But being a Japanese weeb as I am, I I was definitely intrigued by it. But I I, I heard all the talk that the combat just kind of got pretty repetitive and didn't seem like there was a whole lot to do out in the world. So I just one of those games I just kind of pushed it to the side, and I may I might get to eventually, but. Mm-hmm. It's probably cheap now. It is It is a shooter, basically. It's as, as generic as I can give it to you. you. You shoot ghosts, and you put their souls in a little spirit thing. And sometimes you do side quests for ghosts, or like, hey, go to this area and shoot this ghost in the face until it dies. Sneak up on this ghost and snap its neck. Don't don't worry about how. Don't think about it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, check it out someday. 
Uh, I also put down here Grid Legends, uh, my racing game of the year, my arbitrary racing game for the year. Grid Legends was, according to the statistics, the game I spent the most time in. I have like 140 hours in Grid Legends. Wow. Um, well, partially because a couple of the trophies were bugged and didn't get patched until months later. I had to do more races than I should have had to do. But uh, yeah, I platted that some bitch. Drove and drove and drove forever. I love racing games, and I have nothing more to say about it. It's a racing game, and you drive. There you go. I love them. I need to. I need to get in, back in touch with Racing Stizzy. I've neglected <laughs> him for too long. For I, Pokemon I, Stizzy. Yeah, yeah. I, I got in touch with him a few years ago, but Racing Stizzy, because I, I was the same as you. I played a lot of racing games when I was younger, and for just whatever reason, I just I. I've kind of gone away from him for a while, so I didn't play I didn't play more than ten minutes of the Need for Speed. I've already forgotten what the subtitle is, but the new Need for Speed, so that's why it's not here. Unbound? Unbound, yes. Yeah, I didn't play much of it. Yeah. My grid was my whole year. That's why my little avatar on PlayStation is a car. Because that's the game I played the most. <laughs> What's next? Um I was gonna see see I know there's there's, I think, a couple other mutual games, I believe, uh, for us Three. here. But uh, I will just, I will go into I th- one of my games that I just played, game on the Switch, uh, called Triangle Strategy. And it's a top-down strategy game, turn-based. And it's very heavily inspired by Final Fantasy Tactics, which I love. It, it's... Is this the one made from the same people who made Octopath Traveler? Yes, yes. Um, I think it's it's a kind of a collaboration between a in-house Square Enix studio and another studio I believe called Art Dink, and they specialize in a what they call a HD 2D style game, and it's the kind of the pixelated characters on the high definition 2d backgrounds but they look like they may be 3d they look you know you can kind of move up and down side (laughs) to side very high definition sprites yeah the environments actually look really really nice in uh, both this game and octopath um i i kind of wish the characters were a little less pixelated look but that's the style they've chosen and it's not too big a deal i've really I I loved Octopath Traveler. I liked Triangle Strategy even more because I think it I think it was absolutely fantastic. I think the story was fantastic. Gameplay characters were all great. I I loved every single one of them. I loved learning about them. I loved, you know, learning their motivations and seeing their characters grow and just how it fit uh, into the story and the overall themes. I thought all the stages were very unique and came with their own set of different set of challenges with each one. The antagonists were also very well written and you just hated their guts. It's just <laughs> you they were characters you loved to hate. And it had a pretty pretty sizable cast of characters too. And what made this game unique uh, or different from Final Fantasy Tactics is, is Tactics 
any character could be any class. Where in Triangle Strategy, every character has their own unique class to them. Now they all they're all categorized in kind of you know the you know pretty standard categories of damage dealing or defensive types or healers mm, or whatnot. Yeah. But they all they all had their you know own set of skills that fit into their fit into their characters and their play styles and so it was really fun kind of learning you know which characters played with played well with other characters and what type of stages and whatnot and it was uh just made every battle feel very unique and I don't have a whole lot of negative to say about the only thing I... So why isn't it your game of the year? (laughs) Um, I would say it's not the game of the year because one of the... um, One of the... One of the big mechanics in this game are these things called the scales of conviction. And... Basically, whenever there's a major decision that needs to be made in this game, everybody, you're, the main cast of, it's like seven or eight characters, cast their votes on the scales, and whatever decision gets the most votes, that's what you go with. And when I first heard about it, I thought it was interesting because it, it felt like there would be a, there'd be a chance where you may not you may want to do something as a player but maybe the rest of the characters may not want to so they may vote against it and you'd have to be be forced to go down that path which mm-hmm. simultaneously sounds intriguing and annoying but it never it honestly became moot because it takes absolutely no effort to persuade your party members into going along with what you want <laughs> so it just it it almost felt like a real. It felt like a pointless mechanic for the most part. Um, it makes it kind of plays into the quote unquote golden ending, where you don't know what's the right path. So because it's the path set by the scale in front of you, they don't. Not everybody. It's going to inevitably split your party, and so you, hmm. you as the main character say, you know what, fuck it, we'll just do our own thing. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we do that this whole time? <laughs> um, but I, I I, did enjoy the golden ending because it actually felt, it felt earned. You had to do, you had to make certain decisions in the game and not, not all of them were the obvious quote-unquote right path or the honorable mm. thing to do. Paragon v. Renegade. Yeah, yeah, and, but that kind of that set the stage for you know a way a, a a ending where pretty much everybody's happy you know not everybody it's not totally you know flying off in the you know sunset or anything like that but and the game has four endings and three of them the other three are all very good as well and they you know they deal with a lot of you know the, your own you know decision moral questions that you made throughout the game and they felt fit the character that drives that ending as well too so overall yeah i absolutely i absolutely love the game one quite my game of the year but it's it, i think it's top three or top five right. at least so. all righty 
I don't know that I would ever play it because I couldn't get into Octopath Traveler. I tried. It was on Game Pass, and I was like, man, I don't... It's so hypocritical of me, but I think it's genuine. It's genuinely because it's flat, it's 2D. Like, if this were, like, Paper Mario or something, I'd have less issue. I don't know what it is. I just have this innate... See, I and I hated... 2D, I, I played so I, many I 2D games Paper when Mario. I was young. <laughs> I, hate, I played so many 2D games when I was young, and then when we, like... PlayStation 1 and 64 invented 3D models. It's like, cool, we never need 2D again. Oh, here it still is. <laughs> hey, I enjoy it because, like I said, they actually, I think they actually do put a lot of work into the environments Certainly, and yes. whatnot. And the, they're just they're just fun games to play. And they're, they're homages to games I, games I loved, Japanese RPGs I loved in the past. And, but they have the, they have their own, unique styles and uh, improvements on them, on the genres. So I enjoy them a lot. So. Now we come to the cream of the cream. That sounds disgusting. But it's the high-tier games. Uh, I mean, like, higher than high-tier. Like, games we enjoyed the most out of the year. Um, I've only got two, no, three left, excuse me. Susie, I believe, had four left. So rather than staggering, I think we're just going to obviously pick Two, two were definitely the same. Uh, Gotham Knights. This game was long delayed. It changed uh, from being a live service to a single player only game. Uh, there news came out that instead of 60 FPS, it was only going to be 30, even though it was only coming out for current gen, not last gen. Again, very maligned on the internet because of this 30 FPS thing. Uh, every time I saw a complaint about Gotham Knights, it was because of the 30 FPS. Now, I'm not someone who really gives a shit about that kind of thing, so it never really bothered me. I know you're the kind of guy who can tell the difference. But as far as the actual gameplay goes, I think we both ended up coming to the conclusion that it's probably better than the Arkham Knight, the final Batman game in the Arkham Trilogy. Even though this game is like 99% sans Batman. You play as various Robinses and Batgirl. Yeah, I, I think I made that bold proclamation when I finished it, and I, I stand by it. I, I enjoyed Gotham Knights more than I enjoyed Arkham Knight. And I liked Arkham Knight, don't get me wrong. I just think Knight just... I think they... <clears throat> it was the whole uh, Rocksteady misleading everybody about the identity of the titular, titular character. Red, Redhead yeah. being Jason Todd, yes. And uh, just a little too much joker in it for me and too much driving it was, it, it was it, yeah a lot of driving and it was just i think we're we were at the very just at the very, very beginning phase of over joker over saturation uh, at least for me so but knights has no joker and it has little driving it has motorcycling you know what it does have is character variety uh one thing about batman is he plays the same every game basically yeah he's heavy brawler the gotham knights is not does not use the same engine does not use the same mechanics as the previous arkham games and for some people that's a turn off i was glad for it because you know i love variety i i do enjoy that you know just the name of them we have robin uh batgirl uh nightwing and red hood they all actually do play differently enough they're different uh combat mechanics different traversal mechanics slightly different stealth mechanics the Upgrades you get in terms of like their quote-unquote super moves are different. It, it's 
it's fun to switch between them and see how you can tackle the same mission, you know, in a different, slightly different way. Even if the outcome is end up being the same, even the dialogue is uh, different enough that you want to see. Okay, I know what Nightwing says to the Penguin. What is Red Hood going to say to the Penguin? I'm just interested in that kind of thing. So the variety is was a big uh, fucking truck. So the variety was a big reason I enjoyed the game, and I want to play it again. You know, switch around because I mostly I played like 85% Robin. And uh, the rest was Red Hood. I didn't touch Batgirl at all. So I want to play through again and go mostly through the whole game as her. But, uh, if I had any big negative, it's two, two uh, missions in particular where you have to basically go through death traps that the Court of Owls have set up. And they're really stupid and annoying until you figure out the trick. I had to YouTube the second trick for the trick room with the spinning spikes of death. It took me way too long to get out of that damn room. Yeah, those sections definitely felt like a different game. I was playing all of a sudden, and yeah, it was very annoying. And if it wasn't for the extremely generous and forgiving checkpoint system, it would have been a much bigger headache. But yeah, I I, I enjoyed the game for the same reasons. I, I, I really liked how different all the characters felt. I was a little more... I played all of them. I didn't play them all uh, equally, I think I played probably 60% of the game as Nightwing, and then just the other 40% kind of split. Probably like 20% Bad Girl, and then 10-10 Red Hood and Robin. Hmm. And I enjoyed playing as all of them. And to compare them to, to other, you know, like, Batgirl feels what Arkham Batman felt like. She's the brawler type and got a few gadgets that she can employ. Nightwing felt like I was playing Spider-Man in the Marvel Spider-Man games. He's just flipping all over the place and grappling, hooking enemies and all like that he's jazz. A, he's an acrobat, so. Mm-hmm. And Red Hood's got the guns and the bombs, and I didn't think... I, I thought he'd be the worst character, or at least the least fun to play as, just because with the guns, but the guns are powerful as shit, and they're actually really, really cool, and... Call me simple, but in an action game like this and like Sifu, if the finishers are entertaining and extravagant and out there, I'm I love that, and they are fantastic. Gotham Knights, I love all the finishers. I I think I only saw the same finishers maybe a handful of times because there, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The, the moves that I don't know that there is necessarily a repeated move among the four. I think they all have act totally individual movesets throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and different gadgets and all that all mm-hmm. that jazz. I also uh, enjoyed the more narrow-focused uh, story. You know, it's a more vibrant Gotham. There, you know, it feels like a living city. But the actual story you're following is a much smaller focus than any of the Arkham games. Because I, I realize that Batman's bad guys are the appeal of Batman, some people will say. But I definitely felt overwhelmed sometimes, especially in City and in Arkham Knight, where just like, okay, you hunted down this villain, but now uh, 10 more quests with 10 other villains have opened up. It's like, oh, man. So there are only three or four major villains in Gotham Knights. And I, th- I do think the narrow focus helps focus. Like, it, it helps you not feel overwhelmed by the amount of shit you have to do. Yeah, there were there were times in Arkham games where it felt like you you could get fatigued with the amount of references to all the the 
Batman's rogue gallery. And that made sense in Asylum because that's you know, that's where a lot of them were locked up. So yeah, and you're, you're basically trapped there too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was the still pretty prevalent in City and in Night and in Arkham Knight. But yeah, Gotham Knights. I I will say I wish there were maybe a maybe a couple more of uh, the well-known villains. Like uh, early on. You got you're sent to investigate or uh, talk to Kurt Langstrom, who is the Man Bat, but he spoiler dies extremely early in the game, and that's it. He's there's, I thought I I kept expecting him to show up as Man Bat throughout yeah, the game, but nope, <laughs> he's he's just dead. And uh, Penguin's more of a, an informant. He's not really, he's not really a bad guy or a threat, uh, although he does sell you out to the court. And I kind of, I really, really, I really enjoyed the Court of Owls run of the Batman comics. I thought it was a really cool concept, although it's always been kind of a hard thing to swallow that Batman, this, you know, super intelligent guy, he was a billionaire, has, you know, all this, you know, intelligence network, had no idea this secret society secret existed. society, yeah. But in I, I felt like they kind of got overshadowed by the league in this game, because Talia yeah, Ghoul became the main antagonist. The main narrative towards the end of the game certainly is basically League of Shadows versus Court of Owls, and you're kind of Gotham kind of caught in between, and you by nature are too. Yeah, so I I don't know. I kind of just wish the Court of Owls had been the bigger bad, but I guess they didn't have a as an iconic. And tag, you know, bad guy as as uh, the League of Shadows does. So, is it League of Shadows or League of Assassins? I, they, they mix them up between it's, the movie and it's both. I just I prefer <laughs> I prefer League of Shadows because it sounds you know a little more mysterious and less, I think it's actually Assassins in the game. It might, but I think, uh, I think it is Assassins in this game. But yeah, I don't know. It, it is interesting trying to craft a narrative. I know another negative on the internet, and not not between you and me. Another negative on the internet is like, there's no Batman in this Batman game. And it's like, well, yeah, what would happen then? It's like, he's, he trained these four kids, basically, that have to grow up fast. And one of them's dead before, too. So it's like, okay, what do we? What does Gotham do in a world without Batman? You know, what do his villains that are still around do in a world without him? Yeah, well, I'd say to people complaining it's not a Batman game, it's because it's not a Batman game. It's a Bat, fam- <laughs> it's a bat family game. Yes. And, yeah, you, uh, I've... Always, I've I love Batman. He's my favorite comic book character, but I love his sidekicks too, and I I I really enjoyed focusing on them for for a game. And I think I think it did I think it did every single one of them justice. Mm-hmm. I think it took a lot of their most their most well known backgrounds and just kind of rolled with those. Like what we know about these characters, you know, you know, Dick's the acrobat. He's the charming guy he's always throwing out quips in the middle of the fight barbara's the tech genius who used to be you know stuck in a wheelchair and that's how she developed a lot of her uh, technical skills but luckily she gets out of it because i think she's much better character as bad girl and then mm-hmm. red hood's got his history of being killed by the joker and then come back to life and you know dealing with the issues of there, trying to you know balance his more violent tendencies with his with his oath not to not to take life and then 
Tim's just he's just the he's just the geek of the he's the kid and uh I really I it it felt it felt really good just playing through the game and watching all their different personalities just you know trying to balance out and unlike a Batman game where you know the buck stops with him you know he, he makes the final decision about everything I loved how they just they acted as a team and nobody was yes. the nobody was the de facto leader maybe nightwing if you know you've had because he's the teen, most senior but you know they all dealt with the the narrative problems and they all brought their own unique their personal expertise to the table and yes it's like 50 50 in terms of them i don't know how to make this make sense hold on <laughs> Uh, the variety in the gameplay between the four heroes is shared in the variety in the narrative between the four heroes. Like yeah. in terms of the, you know, si- like little side content or you know remarks they'll make or things they'll say over the intercom or the emails they share with each other. All, there's all personality in all of that. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever felt like they were being neglected or out, you know, outshone or anything like that. So I thought they they really balanced that really well. So. The performance, I the thing, the performance thing, like you, I mean, like you said, I I can tell the difference between thirty and sixty FPS. It doesn't. I, I would for action games, I would prefer it to be a higher frame rate, but it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. I can get used to it. And ultimately, I don't think it. I don't think it hurt this game too much, anyways, because it was pretty stable, and they can always add it in at a later date. And hey, then everybody's happy. Presumably, so. there were, there were some minor technical jibbles like uh, Red Hood's pull strings. Yeah, on his hoodie. <laughs> yeah, they'd always they just stick stuck out at out. ninety degrees. Yeah, it's like, well, it's weird that you guys never patched that, but okay. Yeah, it was funny because Barbara, Batgirl, she also wore a hoodie at times, and her strings were perfectly fine the whole way through. So <laughs> it's just his. It's they applied physics to his clothes, which you know is cool in a modern video game, but sometimes when physics glitch out, and it's it's noticeable, especially on clothing. Um, yeah, you tweak oh something and then it affects something else. Probably what happened. Yeah. But again, we don't do game development for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think this game sold very well, though. And Lord knows Warner Brothers is in a mire of financial problems right now. So yeah. they've got one more game on the slate. Uh, I don't know what's coming next. Allegedly, the people who made this... Uh, what's the name of the... Uh, Warner Brothers Montreal. Montreal, yes. Yeah, yeah. They are making, allegedly, I read this today as of recording, another DC game single player. But uh, I don't know that for sure, and I don't know if it's going to follow in James Gunn's new stupid universe. I have to keep an eye on that. But yes, Gotham Knights is a great game. Don't let the internet tell you otherwise. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, check it out. Uh, meanwhile, says. Meanwhile, at the Batcave... <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, I, can, I can talk about uh, one of the big releases of this last year that I don't think you played, and I don't know if you have plans to play. <laughs> the uh, Elden Ring, which, you know, some people have heard of. And then the newest From Software game. And I I really, really enjoyed this game. It's 
it sounds like an insult if I call it Dark Souls in an open world game. <laughs> but it's not. I don't think so. I like the Dark Souls games. I like the formula. I've discussed on the show. I'm not. I'm not as high on those games as most of the internet is, mm-hmm. or the majority, you know, you know, vocal minority is. But I really enjoy them. Sekiro is legit an amazing action game. It's their best yet, even after I think it's still better than Elden Ring. But Elden Ring's pretty awesome. Um, the you know graphically, it's good. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's mostly the art style and art direction. I think is what really separates Souls, and that's I think that's what their main one of their biggest strengths is just seeing all the environmental designs and the enemy and boss designs. I think they, they knock, you know, they, they always do fantastic in that regard. And this game is no different. Uh, performance wise, it's, I played it on PS five, which had some issues with stability. It, I didn't have too many issues. I thought it, it, you know, kind of, it ran at a pretty steady 40 to 50 FPS. It would would have been nice if it was a locked in 60, but it didn't hamper me too much. And you you can understand why in that case, for sure, because of the many disparate movement things that happen in the, in the world. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a willing, I'm willing to give them a mulligan on this one because it is the biggest, you know, size wise game they've ever played they're ever made excuse me and so yeah there's just going to be a there's a lot more assets than what they're used to and uh, you know a lot of variables that can kind of you know sometimes contradict others but the uh combat is it, it, it is satisfying it's what you expect from a souls game it's heavy and it's slow um it adds it, it's it's a little faster in this game but with the the addition of horse combat and also there's just a ton of weapon weapon varieties in this game i probably more so than any other souls game i'm i'm safe in saying <laughs> and there's something there's something for everybody every style of game style under the sun that you could want in this game and it's it's a lot of fun just experimenting with different weapons and spells and which you know you know finding which ones you like like the most and then uh you know building up putting points into that and whatnot and it's it is fun but it's mechanically it feels it it feels just like dark souls 3 it doesn't feel like a significant improvement over three and three's three's good. Three's, you know, fine. I've played three, uh, last, last year, year before, whatever. And it's, you know, it feels the best out of the souls game, but I just, I kind of, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of thought there'd be a, a, a bigger difference. Between you know, three and Elden. Yeah. Yeah. Other than just, you know, fighting on horseback or jumping, that's, pretty much it the animations look better like when you're swinging a sword or when you're pulling back an arrow or whatnot uh the character actually shows the appropriate 
motions and actions and what the like the kind of the feelings of like a weight between the different you know items or power of a spell or whatnot the best thing about this game is probably the best thing about any souls game are the bosses uh, the main bosses in particular just all just have some of the best designs I've, I've ever seen in any game not just a souls game they are they are all extremely unforgettable including the including the arenas you fight in I just I don't I, I'll be thinking about fights in this game for a long time Did, we talked about this in a previous episode so I don't want to go too much into it again but it seems when people talk about Elden Ring what I've seen is boss talking about bosses they're not talking about the environments they're not talking about horse stuff horse tricks they're not talking about traversal they're not talking about the open world they're talking about bosses so it's like are, are we hitting the fatigue point where the only thing people draw from these souls like games is boss design should they just make their next game after armored core 100 boss run get rid of the the levels entirely i don't think they should uh like i said I, I'm, I'm a little i'm a little silly when i say that but yeah no, I, I I understand what you mean though. It's that's definitely the main draw for these games, and plus the challenge. But well, the, what used to be the challenge, I Elden Ring is a reason it's so popular. I think is because it's it's the easiest of any Souls game I've played. It's that's what I heard, yeah. It it you know it has it it does have still challenging fights in them, but most of the the most challenging ones are the are optional. Most of the main boss fights are. You know, not too bad. Um, in fact, the ones that tied the, the ones that you have to fight through the main story, I'd say the hardest one is probably, funnily enough, the next to last boss that you fight. Uh, I think I had the most difficult with, but even even he was like, you know, not as not nearly in that upper tier of most difficult Souls games bosses I've, I've fought. Not like Nameless King levels or nothing. No, no, not. Not any, like, I want to smash my fucking controller through the wall <laughs> difficult or anything like that. Plus, this, you know, this game, since it has so many different types of weapons and spells and there's so many different types of builds you can work with, you can make, even after the patches, you can make some extremely overpowered characters. And you can summon help during a fight, not just, and not just other players, but other, you know, NPCs or what they call Ash, you know, what they call, uh, yeah, they're ashes. Yeah, uh, they're basically NPC enemy types that fight for you. Uh, I'm gonna ask this question again now that we've had some time since the last recording. What's the story of this game? Hmm. <laughs> well, um, there's a tree. There used to be some queen that was in charge of the tree. <laughs> And then her king, the husband, divorced her and then married some other lady who was obsessed with the moon and fetuses. And then the queen died. And then Wait, people which started queen? F the original queen, the, the, the tree queen. And then people started fighting over the tree. And wars were breaking out. And then everybody started blaming the tree instead of, you know, the people fighting. What does that do with a ring? I, uh, well, I don't know if there's actually a ring per se. There's a, it's like a <laughs> spiritual ring that you 
like it it gets split up between these five demigods or goddesses and you have to beat them and then assemble you know take all their pieces and then form them into the into the elden ring and then you can become elden lord isn't that exactly like the previous souls games you just need the lord souls come on i thought george martin was working on this what happened uh yeah i think he just wrote basic story concepts and characters i don't think he actually yeah i don't think he actually like wrote detailed plot lines or character arcs or anything like that or themes or whatnot but um yeah it's pretty bare bones as you'd expect from souls games i I mean there's more to it but it's just it it like all the other games it just feels so disconnected and disjointed from everything else and it's just eventually i just stopped caring about it i said this i said this the last time we talked about the souls games but I, i i mean this part seriously why do they bother with the story stuff seriously you could draw something maybe from Demon Souls and the first Dark Souls. Genuinely, after that, they're just so abstract and like you need some fucker on the internet to explain it to you, and then you don't have a story. If you can't explain your story in the game, you don't have one. If I have to read item descriptions to get lore, you don't have lore. Yeah, Fadi Saya has to make a you know hour long video, you know, making. Connect, you know, making connections that didn't exist and creating context. Making shit up, yeah. yeah, yeah. He kind of does, honestly. I've I've watched his videos, and um, yeah, all that stuff is just not there. <laughs> um, it's, but I don't know. I I, yeah, I get, really I get no... that's why, but my my point being, that's not why people play the game. Yes, so don't bother. No, the only motivations you have for fighting bosses or enemies in this game is because they're there. It's like okay, <laughs> they're the they're the next boss, so. Yeah, it's a it's a Souls game. I'm gonna fight them. It's probably gonna be difficult. Oh wait, it's not. Yeah, the next the next game after the next Armored Core should just be called Boss Souls, and that's all you do. You just fight bosses for twenty hours. Different sizes, varieties, shapes. Elden Ring does it does not break the mold of of old Souls games. It's just bigger. It's just a larger <laughs> scale than the other ones. It still has a lot of the same issues I have with the series as a whole in general and it's it's got some new ones too um one of the biggest ones and one of the worst things you can do in an open world in my opinion is have repeatable boss fights which there are a shit ton in this game and there's also a ton of cookie cutter dungeons that all look the same and they all run together and if you show me pictures of a dozen of them side, you know, all side by side, I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you which one was which. I think we did, we said this last time we talked about them, but it's like the Chalice Dungeon from Bloodborne. They had an idea, and they just kept using the same idea over and over. Yeah, in this game, they just put them out in the in the world that you can find, or you know, you don't have to, you know, talk to a gravestone or anything like that to access them. But and I. It's a shame because I have no problem with the actual levels that lead up to the main bosses. Most of them are actually really, really, really cool and really memorable. And you can tell a lot of effort was put into them. But they created this whole big open world and they realized, well, oh shit, we got to fill this crap with stuff. Okay, let's just take this same cat statue boss 
and then multiply <laughs> him by 50 and then just stick him in all these other different dungeons dotting the map and just call it good. I'll take my award now, Mr. Jeff Keeley. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I will, you know, I will Obama presenting Obama. <laughs> the Nobel Prize, yes. Yeah, Nobel Prize, but... I'm not, um, I'm not saying never to this game. I'm saying, I don't know. I think it's worth, I, I think it is worth playing. It's, there, there's some, there's a novelty to the Souls formula in the bigger open world. And it's a lot easier to play with other people. You can play longer sections with friends and whatnot. And you can essentially make the game a breeze. And, um, well, in, in all honesty, if I can do that, if I can make the, an, a frustrating experience as simple and easy as possible, I'd like to do that. I don't care if it's cheesy. Who am I, what am I trying to prove here? Yeah, trust me. If you played with me, I could basically hold your hand through the entire game if you wanted <laughs> to. I mean, I could just, I could dunk on every single, I gotta, I, my character's so overpowered, I can just dunk on everything at this point, but. Oh, and the uh, music is phenomenal. I think it's one of the best things these games do, and it's no different in this game. So, overall, a really good game. It's, like it said, it's still got a lot of the same wrinkles in the the series is known for, but um, I think it's one of the better of the bunch. So. Alright, I'll put it in the rental queue. Good man. <laughs> uh, next I've got another superhero flair. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, spelled S-U-N-S, because it's taken from the comic that had S-O-N-S, because it was about four dudes. It was about Moon Knight, uh, Blade, uh, Morbius and the fourth person I forget. I think it was Doctor Strange actually. But uh, we can't have that in modern day. The comic was a few years old so now it's got a bunch of girls in there so we can't call them S-O-N-S. So they have to change the narrative of what the actual Midnight Sun instead of being a pun it's about some bullshit prophecy that's not a thing that's just made up. It's got a fuck ton of Marvel characters and it's from the people who made the XCOM games so you're like oh strategy game? What the fuck are you talking about? Look you don't like strategy games. It's like Yes, but this one is a card-based strategy game, and I love card games. And technically, uh, as I explained before, all card games are, in fact, strategy games. It's a turn-based in terms of, like, okay, let's, for variety's sake. You've got Doctor Strange, you've got Spider-Man, and you've got Iron Man on your team. And there's, like, eight Hydra dudes you got to punch the fuck out of. Well, what'd you draw? You'll draw a card you can't use yet, but you can use on the next turn. So you need to build up, you know, your meter for whatever. So it's like, okay, if I do this, and I move this character here, and I use this power, all right, enemy turn, how can they respond? And that's the game. But it, it really, I think, elevates to that next level because I'm such a fucking Marvel nerd. <laughs> you know, I put it above Gotham Knights because, I, frankly, I like Marvel more than I like DC. Um, so it made me really like a strategy game for the first time in a very, very long time in terms of video games and what I play. Uh, would I play XCOM after this? Probably not. Unless they had Marvel paint on it, really. So that, that's that's what it took. It just took some Marvel superheroes in your strategy I had, game. I have had the fanboy sucked out of me so hard these last few years. So I'm clinging on to the fucking last remnants here. I'm on the Spider-Man, Spider-Web edge here of my Marvel fandom. I've abandoned the movies. I abandoned the comics a decade ago. So now I only have these games, and I don't know when the next Marvel game is coming out, ever. That isn't going to be some shitty mobile game. So this Midnight Suns is what I've got left. 
Yeah, and I don't blame you. The, the gameplay is definitely the my favorite part of this game. Um, I You touched on it. I, I, I love just building up the deck and trying to think about one turn ahead, two turns ahead, positioning my characters, using the uh, interactable objects in the you know the kind of soften up the enemy and it just it it felt every every fight felt different in its own way it just no felt no fight ever felt the same just because it's, it's, of the ra- randomness of the, the card draw yes and that speaks to the design like the, the design philosophy of the way they set up the game and and uh variety or, or the way you can you know level up your characters in between fights doing big thing level up cards the way you not super keen on the way you acquire those cards but you know it's a user lose it system you know you want to get magic the character more powerful then you need to use her more in battle then you get better cards for her and then she becomes stronger and you kind of kind of do that for all what 18 characters you got um that's definitely its strength in terms of the actual game the parts that you're playing the game are the best parts however uh I do like that they managed to capture most of the personality of the classic and newer Marvel heroes. I don't like the things they say, necessarily. <laughs> I think, like, Blade's personality is pretty consistent from other iterations of Blade. I get, you know, you can make an argument, or an uh, adaptation argument. But some of the things Blade says in Midnight Suns make me go, Blade would never say this. This doesn't make sense for the character Blade. Yeah, uh... <laughs> for one of a better... Uh, phrase. It felt like they were trying to stick him at the kids' table too many <laughs> times, where it just it felt out of place for that character. And some of the others too, like Wolverine. You know, the bloodier characters. You know, Blade is uh, is an R-rated movie. There's a ton of gore. He's killing vampires. This Midnight Suns is T for Teen, so there's no blood, and there's no vampires either. So he's just like, well, I'm here in this group now. I'm the ancient adults. I'm just going to hang around these like literal teenagers like Robbie Reyes and uh, fucking Nico. What's her name? Nico Minoru. I know. What's her name? Oh, uh, it's just it's just Nico, isn't it? She doesn't have Nico. I don't don't think she she doesn't have a superhero name. What a loser. I don't think she does. I'm sworn she did. Yeah. Ileana is magic with a K, which is. And then you got some like. Yeah, the draw of it is like the supernatural thing, which is the draw of the original Midnight Suns. But then you bring in people like Captain America and Spider-Man and Iron Man who have absolutely nothing to do with the supernatural. Spider-Man's a street-level hero. Why is he fighting demons from literal hell? You literally fight Satan in this game. Marvel's the devil. Well, he's just such a nice guy. He's such a friendly <laughs> neighborhood Spider-Man. He'll just he'll offer help to anybody. We'll steal that line from Infinity War. You can't be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's so why I, I, I sh- d- shoot web at Thanos. So I think this here's a, a controversial thing. I think this game would have been better served without a player character, because you create a, an end, a, a PC and you control that one primarily. You know, you control the, all of them in battle. But as you walk around their hub area. You're your created character who doesn't exist in any comics, as far as I'm aware. And you know, you can interact with various Marvel heroes, and that's neat. But I think it would have been better if it was something like Ultimate Alliance, where it's only the heroes interacting with each other without some ancillary create a character. Yeah, I'm not, 
honestly, I, I don't know. It probably, I'm sure it you know, would have worked, but I, I, I kind of like the Hunter's origins and backstory. It felt very, it felt like a comic book. You know, this this long dead or slumbering hero, whatever he was, mm. and they brought him, bring him back to life to fa- face this threat that the other Avengers are not, you know, they're not used to. But, although at this point, the, all the Avengers have dealt with world-ending threats before, so it is kind of odd that they would just like just revive this old guy from nowhere because because you know, he's the son of this demon lady. You think okay, you think Captain Marvel could just punch her into another galaxy, but oh yeah, that's a, that's another thing. So now the nitty gritty, the characters themselves, you know, so many of them are iconic. But then you have characters from the what's known in the comics as the all-new, all-different line, where Marvel went all bad. They uh, cut Carol Danvers' hair, so she's got short hair and a worse costume. Uh, they introduced a new Miss Marvel. They introduced a new Ghost Rider, technically a new Captain America. I'm surprised uh, that Sam Wilson wasn't in this game. They just dicked around with a bunch of stuff, and it's the death of Marvel Comics. And some of those characters are in Midnight Suns, and it's like... Fucking hell, I hate the Runaways so much. Uh, I really don't like Robbie, the ghost driver. He, he's your ghost rider. Why aren't you riding a fucking motorcycle? Oh, it's a lowrider, because you're a Mexican. I get it. As a Mexican myself, I feel very represented. Thank you so much, Marvel. You should feel representative. <sighs> so there is a lot of, once again, we'll dance around this, a certain kind of messaging in this game that I think really holds it back from being super awesome great, that, you know, my fanboy, my Marvel (laughs) shill heart stops here. It's like, oh, I don't think Captain America would ever say that shit. Oh, I don't think Blade would want to be in a relationship with Captain Marvel, not because I'm jealous at all. I just think that doesn't make any damn sense. She goes to space. He hunts vampires. Yeah, do they have space vampires? What are they going to talk about? (laughs) Maybe the Kree have vampires. I'm not 100% up on the space stuff. Yeah, a lot of the Avengers really kind of had some out-of-character moments like that, and some of the new characters, the Magic and Nico and Robbie. Robbie's just super dull and boring. And they stupid. made Iron Man a dickhead, I think, too. Yeah, they. It's like they they took they took that one aspect of Tony Stark's personality of he's super controlling and want, you know needs to be on top of everything, and just notched that up to eleven, where it's just. Yeah, they just try to frame him as the bad guy in some of these situations. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, and, and they made Doctor Strange an idiot. Yeah, like two of the most, the smartest and most powerful dudes in the world, and yeah, they're just kind of acting like clowns sometimes, or they're made out to be clowns. So we can make the younger characters look better. So it's exactly new Marvel. It's Phase Four. Yes, because <laughs> I mean, God knows the new, the like Nico and Magic. They cannot, they cannot garner a fan base just on their personalities alone, <laughs> because Nico's just flat up fucking annoying as shit. She's always, she was always whining about the Avengers and not, not feeling a part of it, and they think they're, they're just not taking us seriously, and we're just part of this too. And the magic, oh my, she's just a flat out bitch. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's just, I mean, she's just, she's. The new mutants in the 90s ruined that character. She was cool up until then, and then I think it was Chris Claremont who said, I'm going to fuck with everything. And indeed he did. 
Uh, but unfortunately for me, the New Mutants was very popular. The movie was not. But the comic run was very popular, featuring Magic and some other people. Yeah, and I don't... Yeah, not everybody has to be, like, super nice guy, like Spider-Man is, but the whole... One of the, one of the main underlying concepts and themes of a superhero is they're extremely compassionate people despite their circumstances and mm-hmm. what they've been through. And yeah, like I said, they don't have to, all have to be, you know, as nice as Peter Parker is, but you know, what, from what magic's gone through, you think she just, she'd be a little nicer. And I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not trying to say, Hey honey, you should smile more or anything like that, but just be a little, a little less antagonistic. If, towards if you teammates. don't want to help people, what are you doing here? Yeah, she seems very just, like, put out about everything, about this whole saving the world situation. And, oh, my God. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, my. The Avengers are trying to stop this world-ending threat when they have the most experience? How fucking dare they? No, <laughs> this they actually listen to us. This reminds me of something we've talked about a long time ago, uh, the previous year's Guardians of the Galaxy game, which we both really like. But, uh, oh, my God, this dude. Very echoey street. I apologize. I don't know how much I can edit this out. Where the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, have interpersonal fights with each other for reasons we don't really understand, other than the game needed them to be separated at that moment. Because we knew they were going to come together at the end, right? They're going to join back up. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to Midnight Suns, where the Avengers and the Midnight Suns uh, fight for no reason that makes any damn sense, except for the ending when your created character, the Hunter, needs to bring them together in a Commander Shepard, you know, rally the troops moment. And it's like, Captain America's right fucking there. Let him make the speeches. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, I think he actually kind of asked that in-game. So, you know, hey, why isn't he leading him? Because, you know, he's been the leader of this team for the longest, and I'm just a guy who got woken up from the dead uh, like a month ago. Oh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's... If it seems we're overly negative, it is really just... Di- I think dialogue, number one, is my biggest problem with it, really. More than narrative. Yes, and being a very dialogue-heavy game, that mm-hmm. can that can be an issue. And it can stick out like a sore thumb. You, you do spend more time not fighting in the in the battle system than you do fighting. Just because of the way it's designed. You know, the, the Firaxis, the guys who made this game, wanted to really expand beyond their XCOM origins in terms of making grander narrative... And for that first effort, you know, that's it's a good first effort. If they have opportunity, I don't know what Disney's, you know, future plans for video games are. But, you know, if, if they're allowed another shot, I'd be totally interested because playing the game is the most fun. It's easily some of the most fun I've had all year. It came out way late in December and did not sell well, unfortunately. Um, so I would say, you know, again, like, hire some new writers. <laughs> that's all I want. Yeah, and... Please, for the love of God, have another hub area, not just the Abbey. My, my God, I think I probably spent 80% of the game just at the Abbey. Just yeah. walking around, leveling up cards, getting new cards. That's another thing. I'll, let, uh, I'll spend too much more time on this game, but there's a lot of aspects in this game that feel like a mobile game. And mm. you touched on it a little bit earlier, but having to use resources to upgrade my upgrade my abilities and shit. I don't like that as a traditional <laughs> RPG player. I, I actually, yeah, I when I, 
I like leveling up my skills when actually participating in battle. And in this game, you only you I mean you get new cards from playing him, which is great. But I'd like to level up the ones that I have already in my deck by using them more. And but no, it's just you have to just collect these arbitrary resources to level them up. And yeah, it just it all it, it just way too much micromanaging. I think in the game, it just it it bogs down and it just stretches this game out longer than it needs to be. I, yeah, I do think the game is about five to ten hours too long. Yeah, there's a lot of good. And like you, if they get a chance to uh, expand on it, then I'd like to see what they can do with it. Because I think it's a it's a step... It's a, it's a game... When I first heard it about a card-based tactical RPG set in the Marvel Universe, I did not think I would enjoy it, but I was surprised at how much I did. Yeah. It's very accessible for someone who does not normally play strategy games. Yes. So, yes, it's, it's really, really good. I just don't like a lot of the character choices. But that's that's life as a Marvel fan in 2022, 23. So, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, what's left? Uh, I just have one game left. Oh, boy. what I, I can't possibly guess as to what it is. <laughs> well, it's a um, game that came out late la- uh, last year, November. It's a highly anticipated game, God of War Ragnarok, a sequel to the 2018 God of War game by Santa Monica Studios. And it's a direct sequel, so it shares a lot of the, the lot of the same formula from the 2018 game, uh, cl- mainly the combat and the perspective, the third-person camera. It's I loved fighting in 28 the first game, and I still love it in this game. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of difference between the two. Uh, to be perfectly honest, you get you only get three weapons. Uh, you start with the two in the previous game, the axe and the blades, and they mostly are act the same way. The new weapon is a spear, and it's uh, feels very, very different from the other two, and it feels like a worthy addition to the arsenal, and it mixes things up nicely. Uh, I would say, I, I do have my issues with the pre-2018 game, but, but I totally agree that the combat was the best thing about that. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely my favorite thing, and I liked a lot of things about twenty. It probably it might have been actually I think Red Dead Redemption Two was my game of the year that year, but yes. it was definitely up there. Um, this is an amazing looking game, Ragnarok is, and I there was many times throughout the game I would catch myself just just being enraptured by the smallest details. Uh, for instance, the Kratos has this cloak and he has this fur trimming on, you know, and he's got this fur, you know, lined with fur and just looking at every strand of it is just, it just looked amazing. It was, I I couldn't believe it. And the the textures of the character models and the enemies and the environments and the assets and all of it, just, it, it looked amazing and just, it was just the landscapes were breathtaking to look at, and all the worlds felt extremely different from each other. And they were all—they were almost, you know, even this is ancient Norse mythology. They all felt, some of them felt alien in some in some regards. And 
I, lo I loved how you they're able to travel to most of the worlds in the game. Some of them don't have a whole lot to do in them. I think uh, it's the fire world. Mosfelheim is does still, it still have the arena. I'm sorry. Does it still have the same traversal and like you got to go in the big hub area and spin the world, go through portals? Uh, no, no. The 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 it's the Temple of Tear, as it was called in the previous game, is out of commission for this one. So, this game you're basically collecting these stones that allow you to travel. Uh, you may remember the fast travel in the previous game was the the door, and you could you would walk along the branches of the world yes. tree to go to a new world. That's based that's the main mode of transportation in this game or method, excuse me. And it's I was just saying I I I, I really liked how different all the worlds were, and you can go to pretty much all the nine realms covered in Norse mythology, and they all feel very very different and. Some are some are flat out huge. They're extremely large areas, and it's always impressive to look at them um, and to to explore around in them. This is another like 2018, a fake open world, a, a open map game. Yes, yeah, like Arceus, it's just it's just separate big areas, not one connected world, which makes sense because it's nine separate realms that you're traveling to and from biggest i guess you say draw or you know what sets these new god of war games apart from the previous ones is the emphasis on the story and the relationship with the characters namely kratos and atreus and in the previous game you you know you kind of get off to it's almost the beginnings because atreus he's what like 11 or 12 in that game something like that I think so and you know him his relationship with his father is pretty Tenuous. rock pretty <laughs> yeah yeah pretty rocky they don't you know have much in common and two different very very different personality types and you're just basically seeing them going through the growing pains and it's a lot their dynamic is a lot more familiar in this game and it also helps with the addition of uh, oh, uh, Mimir. Excuse me, had a brain fart. And you know he had some much-needed lightheartedness and humor into it. And it was nice to see Atreus being a little less of a brat than he was <laughs> in the previous game. He's matured. He's a young teenager at this point, but he's still. You know, very you know, he's still a very different person from his father, and a a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the character conflicts stem from both Kratos and Atreus having conflicting goals and motivations. Hmm. See, like Kratos, his main concern is just keeping Atreus safe. You know, he's aware of this Ragnarok prophecy, and he knows Atreus is going to have a major role in the events that are to come. And Atreus is just, he's a very curious person, very curious young man, and he's just, he's just, a, he, he's just wants to learn more about his people, the giants, and who he is, you know, how he fits into the grand scheme of things. And Kratos understandably thinks, okay, 
this will just fulfill all of the steps of the prophecy and eventually will lead to war. And, you know, he wants to keep Atreus out of that. But, you know, Atreus, he does, he rebels. He's a teenager. He goes off on his own and he disobeys his father and, you know, he does his own thing and he makes mistakes. And, but ultimately Atreus realizes, you know, he, when he fucks up, you know, and he admits when he's wrong and, the reconciliations are not too drawn out, which I like, you know, it's not, you know, he's not trying to change Kratos, you know, Kratos is obviously, he's still learning this dad parent thing and he knows he makes his own mistakes, but you know, Atreus's are (laughs) much more severe. And, but I liked that he shows some maturity and he grows up in, you know, in the span of the game. And I think overall, I, I, I really, really, really like their dynamics and uh, how their relationship develops and how it fits into the overall story. And it's, uh, I will admit, the story can kind of drag uh, and in large part to kind of the, you know, Kratos and Treus having different goals and what they want to do and how they want to proceed. And... A lot of times it's, you know, Kratos gets the final say, but there's some things where Atreus will just make a suggestion about, okay, let's just do this. Let's see what, let's just go here, do this thing and see where it takes us. And Kratos may not like it, but he grumbles and he's just kind of like, okay, whatever. (laughs) And so, yeah, it just, it, it kind of, the story, it kind of, it feels like it takes a while to pick up steam and it can feel a little bogged down in the beginning and personally i i would have wanted the the entire event of ragnarok probably in a separate game i think it i think it needed a little more time didn't they say this was supposed to be a trilogy and then they changed their minds and now it's only two games i don't you know i don't know um I want to say they always intended it for be to be two games, but like you said, it, it, they could have changed their mind, could have been revisionist. But uh, yeah, I, I just it, it the Ragnarok, the whole you know the whole event just it felt like it just was just okay. It's Ragnarok time. Okay, now it's over. All right, <laughs> oh, that was it. That's the end of the world. Oh, great. <laughs> um, But obviously, you know, it's like the original God of War run and the PS2 had fucked with Greek mythology to a crazy degree. The previous God of War 2018 fucked with Norse mythology to a crazy degree. So when you say Ragnarok, it's like, okay, I know what that is from other medium, but there's no fucking way they're going to do that. Because in Ragnarok, Atreus, who, spoilers for the previous game, is actually Loki... He gets trapped in a hole in the middle of the earth and fed acid for eternity. Or not eternity, whatever. So I don't think they're going to do that to little Atreus. So I'm going to assume they're not. No spoilers. Yeah, no, they do. They, they don't do that. His uh, <laughs> fate is a lot kinder in this game. And it's, yeah, you're right. It, it, uh, maybe it's unfair of me to, you know, compare it to these, you know, other, uh, 
the established mythology and lore and whatnot because it's different characters and um just you know they're just gonna have their own take and spin on things so but yeah it's uh it just i don't know it you 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 call you call your game you put Ragnarok on the title of your game and then Ragnarok lasts for an hour in game and you know it just it kind of feels a little underwhelming. I think this stems back from the 2018 game. It's like okay, the story in the three I know there were five, I know there were six. The story in the three God of War games was Kratos kills all the Greek gods. So when you say okay now we're going to Norse land we're going to the Viking stuffs it's like oh so Kratos is going to kill all the Norse gods and it's like well no. Not really. Yeah, and I appreciate the direction they were to go with this character. You know, he just, he, I think he just has a, you know, time of, you know, moment of realization where he just, you know, he kills all the gods because he was pissed for, you know, whatever reason most of the time. <laughs> and then he's just kind of left with nothing. You know, he just kind of, mm-hmm. it's like he just feels empty inside and he realizes that in the course of the 2018 game. And in this game, he he knows he knows Atreus slash Loki is going to play a major role in the Ragnarok, but you know he does everything he can to protect his son. But Atreus just you know wants to find out who he is, you know where he came from. But you know a lot of those uh, a lot of the things he does, a lot of decisions he makes do kind of fit the requirements of what leads up to Ragnarok and the decision they him Kratos and Atreus ultimately come to is hey just because something was foretold doesn't mean it's not the right course of action or that that we can't you know have we don't have we have our own agency and we can um you know do the best that we can to mm-hmm. try to change things so uh, uh, let's end this by talking about the number one gripe of the internet Oh, let me solve this puzzle. Hey, I'm an NPC. I'm going to tell you how to solve the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people had a problem with that. And I thought it was, I found it a, an annoyance too. But um, I think there's somewhere you can change the frequency of getting getting the help. And I don't know. It's just, it didn't, it didn't feel like that big of an issue for me or you know, yeah it wasn't it wasn't good it'd be nice to have a little more time to work on the puzzles but most of the puzzles in the game were they weren't really complex or hard to figure out anyway so yeah i didn't have an issue with it all right that, that's my biggest takeaway from the zeitgeist of the internet is people complaining about npcs telling you what to do directly yeah which i guess is that if that's the biggest issue that people have with your game then i think you've done pretty well for the most part well i think the biggest issue was race but i'll probably edit this sentence out <laughs> oh i thought i thought you were gonna say something so brave yet so controversial but uh <laughs> no no not on my show i'll say whatever stupid ass thing i want then fix it later yeah yeah no that's that's <laughs> something but hey hey thor is actually a redhead and we know redheads have been victims of that uh, that's that true. Practice, so, so he actually got uh, saved. Yeah, and he's actually fat. Everybody complained in Endgame, but in Ragnarok, Thor's fat, and no one, everyone's fine. Nobody bats an eye. Yeah, and he was, he was, he was badass. He, uh, yeah, he could wreck shit. But 
there was also there was this whole family drama with him and his wife Sif and their daughter Throat, I think her name was or something. Don't ask me. But uh, I don't even know if she actually exists in the uh, real mythology. Or <laughs> that's a yes. oxymoron there. But but that kind of I don't know. It was it just stopped to the point where I would have been annoyed with it. Like if it, if it had dragged on any longer, I would have had a problem with it. But I think they just, they keep, I think they established the, his issues and the issue, you know, you know, how his wife and daughter are affected by those issues and how he resolves them and they reconcile. I think it, you know, to call, to call back to you an hour and a half ago. Hey, it turns out Odin's evil. Yeah, yeah, um, he really is, and I don't know what I was expecting out of Odin, just from what they said, uh, you know, what they told about his character in the previous game, but he's not much of a fighter, he's very, he, like, he, met, he he's very manipulative, and he's kind of a smooth talker, he's, uh, kind of a greasy motherfucker, as uh, my <laughs> uncle would say. It's very similar to uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, from my understanding. The way you finally deal with Odin in that game. I didn't get. I didn't get far enough uh, to be oh. honest with that game. Uh, Hundred hours of Elden Ring couldn't do eighty hours of Assassin's Creed. No, I stopped around the fifty or sixty mark, and. <laughs> um, but yeah, Odin in this game, yeah, he's. He, he, he's I don't. He's, I don't want you to spoil too much. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say he's just kind of, like not what I was expecting, but I still really enjoyed him as an antagonist. I, I hmm. really felt a lot of hatred for that old man and wanted him to die. And, um, and, uh, I think they, I think they did a good job on all the new characters that are established in this game. And they're, you meet a lot of them and on all the different realms. And it really, it helps what I think an issue I had with the previous game were, there were times where the nine realms felt like they were inhabited by like four people and that yeah, not many you know, NPCs. Yeah. yeah. Kratos, Atreus, and then, you know, the dwarf guys, that's about it. And then like Baldur and Freya, that's about it. There's just, there's more in this game and it definitely, it makes all the realms feel like actual places and feel like they're actually lived in. And, you know, they all have their own issues and, uh, gripes with Asgard and Odin and um, helps build up the motivation to stop Odin and uh, bring peace to the realm. So overall, I think it's a, uh, sorry. Better than the previous game? No, it's fine. Better than the previous game? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, I think it's an upgrade and pretty much, uh, pretty much everything. Uh, All the, all the major categories, previous game, uh, graphically, combat story characters so but overall much better game than the first and honestly probably my game of the year last year um it wasn't perfect but it was it's the best we can ask in 22 i uh probably so and it's it it, not to take anything from that game from ragnarok itself because it can it can hold up for in, in any year that you play it in i think well, it's in my Gamefly rental queue, so we'll see. Yeah, I'd love to hear your impressions when you finally get to it. Um, 
The last game I've got to talk about today... I was back and forth on this on Midnight Suns. And ultimately, because of the narrative problems of Midnight Suns, I decided to go with a game I have narrative problems with. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West. The sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. Something that really draws me in in video games, I was thinking about this earlier before we started recording, is the idea of exploration. The idea of being able to see something beyond Horizon, to go past where you are currently. You know, to, part of the reason you and I play these things is to have different experiences. You know, you're never going to be a cat, <laughs> but you can pretend to be one in a video game. It's you know that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So that's what really draws me in video games. And if it's a more open world in terms of okay, hey, you know, the Todd Howard, you see that mountain, you can go there and soak in your horse. That's the thing I really love about games, is the idea of uh, freedom of movement and choice. And I think the game that gave me that the most is of 2022 was Forbidden West. There, the idea that I could just ignore quests, ignore main quests, ignore side quests, and just fuck off and go do whatever I wanted for hours, that's freedom for me. That's what I love about games. I want to just do what I want to do, not what you tell me to do, Mr. NPC. Uh, narratively, I definitely have a lot of problems, especially in the second half of the game when the people from space show up. I love exploring the world. I love fighting the robot machines. I like uh, using the different weapons, unlocking all the different outfits and the fucking paints. There's a new melee system. There's a new super system. There's a new gear way you do things. There's a new uh, like fucking face paints you can put on yourself to do different super moves. A shit ton more uh, things you can jump on and ride and more cultures you can go into to overtake machines and more machines you can overtake. Uh, it's just a bigger, better version of Zero Dawn. And as far as graphics, I think, honestly, Horizon is the best looking game I've played so far. Uh, not just Aloy, obviously, but the other character models, the environments, the machines the weapons there's a lot of little tchotchkes and the details they put and uh, it's it's gorgeous to look at i think it's better than ragnarok but that's me and i it's controversial but i really like aloy uh i know you have your issues with the previous game but i ultimately really ended up liking the character more than i thought i would i guess uh not so much in the interaction with NPCs because there weren't that many NPCs to interact with. And the ones you do interact with, you're not you're very standoffish about. And I think that's probably why I like it. Because I'm very standoffish with NPCs. It's really hard for, for me to care about a non-player character in any game. So, and you see this as a negative, I know. So if the player if the player character doesn't care, then, oh, we're in sync. That's perfect. And I realize you see that as a drawback, and we've had fights offline about this. Yeah, um, I don't have a problem with a character being standoffish, but uh, I'll kind of, you know, retouch on my feelings with Magic and Midnight Suns is that personality type, it needs to be backed up with an actual backstory, origins, whatever, you know, circumstances in that character's life that would, you know, makes sense that they would act this certain way. Hmm. Aloy, for whatever reason, just, I mean, she's just a dick to people for no reason <laughs> that I can, that I can tell. And she not only is a dick to them, but she, she can, 
completely mocks and undermines their whole motivations, their personalities, their their beliefs. All this shit. It's just it. It's, she's just like this girl that grew up outside of a village. That's just this small corner of the world. It just it it never made sense to me that she acted this way towards other people. I understand that, I and I guess I, I don't know, and maybe it's just maybe it's just a, a habit a lot of writers get into that they feel the need that players oh you know as a player you want to feel like an outsider you know it's I don't I don't know if it kind of stems from that chosen one mentality or whatnot you know that hmm. you have to be player character has to be different from everybody and that includes you know just not playing with other kids from the village or whatever but I just never I just never warmed up to Aloy as a character. I think she's best when she's out in the wild and she's not talking to other people. That's probably where she belongs. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. Uh, the times when I have to talk to NPCs, I am as a player rolling my eyes because like you're a fucking idiot. What do you do? When you worship the sun, that's so stupid. Uh, I think that's more, again, it's more of the same in the second one. I don't think that gorilla is not like, uh, for with midnight suns was their first major narrative. I don't think gorilla has ever been good at story. They made all the kill zone games and you know, the previous Renaissance. Like you're not good at this narrative shit. So I like the game design. You know, the the playing part is always going to be the best part. The talking to people part and the story part the worst. And as I said, you know, an hour and a half ago, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish we had better narrative. But I can live without a good narrative. If the game is as good and as fun to play. And it's fun to explore, and it's fun to kill fucking giant robot monsters as Forbidden West is, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, I guess I'm a little more indulgent when it comes to IPs I haven't played yet. Hmm. But if it's a sequel to a game that's like that, that is has good gameplay, but shit narrative, then... You know, hey, I had my fill in the first game, so I honestly, yeah, I had no, I, I have absolutely no interest in this game uh, when it came out because I just, you know, hey, I I love the robot dinosaurs, but there's just only so many I can destroy before it starts to get, just starts to get old. So this is often seen as a negative in all media in terms of, oh, you liked thing, well, you'll like the sequ- the sequel. That's absolutely what zero, what uh, Forbidden West is. It yeah, is absolutely like zero dawn again. Yes, exactly. And because I did like Zero Dawn so much, I liked Forbidden West even more because it, it gave me more of what I liked about it. Yes, there is more of what I didn't like too, but for me, it's you know pros and cons. It doesn't outweigh the gameplay enjoyment. It far outweighs the bad story or bad dialogue for me. Cool. Yeah. I, but you know, we're I'm we're glad, I'm glad you liked it. We are different people, and. Uh, you can expose wildly about God of War, which I had issues with, and you have issues with Horizon. It's like, yeah, I totally get it. We're different people. That's what we're here for on the internet's worst, to give you different perspectives. If Sizzy and I agreed on every single one of these games, this would be like a 30-minute show. Be boring as fuck. But uh, what? So for, uh, for declarative statements, I think 2022 was a very meh year. <laughs> a lot of games got delayed. A lot of games didn't live up to expectations. Uh, some did go past our expectations, like Gotham Knights, but I don't know that there was any game I'm going to look back on and say, oh, 2022 was, 2022 was one of the best years ever for video games. Probably not like that. Yeah, that's definitely... The the catalog of games is not going to 
it's it's not going to be a contender for best years of all time. We, you and I have done this a ton where I've gone back and said, oh man, you know what game came out same year as other game? It's like, wow, that year was stacked. You know, that's not 22. No, no. And not to say I didn't enjoy my time with uh, you know games I played in uh, last year, but uh, yeah, no, it just, it didn't have any uh, didn't have as many blockbusters as mm-hmm. we were expecting. Now 23, on the other hand, I'm going to predict 23 for you. Your game of the year is either going to be Hogwarts Legacy or Tears Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. It's my guess. Really. Now, I'm guessing for you. Huh. Well, you had one of those right. Now, granted, I have not played Tears of the Kingdom yet. Nobody has. But, uh, well, I assume the developers are <laughs> played a little bit of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in Tears, but uh, it kind of... I mean, we watched, we watched that direct the other day, or trailers afterwards, and I made the remark to you that if you had told me that Tears of the Kingdom was an expansion of Breath of the Wild, I I would have believed you. Because it just looked absolutely no different. It does not look very different, no. <laughs> no. Um, but hey, like we said, you liked Thing, why wouldn't you like, more, like thing? more of Thing? Yes. Sometimes we don't get innovation, we only get iteration. And, uh, you know, we either live with, I think we live with it or we don't live with it. Well, we buy it or we don't buy it, or we buy it cheaper. The amount of games on this list that I spent $60 for is one. It is exactly one, and it is, in fact, Horizon. Everything else, I use some sort of trickery to get less. Yeah, I don't think I paid too full price for too many of these. And uh, I know Ragnarok, and I think Gotham Knights I did as well, but the others I waited for a little, say, you know, waited for little sale or just rented it so and more of these games in 23 are going to be 70 rather than the base of 60 but hey this is what you get for living in current day uh i i i'll, I'll say another sweeping generalization about 2022 i think narratively it may have been one of the weakest years ever in terms of like story oh the overall games yeah the story what yeah no you're probably right um there's not. I, I can't think of too many games from that year that I'll. Uh, I'll just. I'll remember solely just for the story. Mm-hmm. Especially but, not Elden Ring. That's for <laughs> sure. Yeah, whatever it was about. You know, the big shit-ass dead dude who went to the big horse, scary horse guy in the sky. You know. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this extra long 2022 episode. I don't know how I'm gonna cut this down. Uh, the worst, the best, and everything in between. And the best was not all that great, but it was good. It was a very good year, not a great year. And nobody said the best had to be good, or that the worst had to be bad. I think the best is yet to come. And then now we play that song, but I can't because it's copyright. Feels like that, right? Something like that. I thought you were singing Ave Maria for a second. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wavered up there a little bit. It's been a while since I've heard that that tune. I don't know when we're going to do the next one, but I'm going to guess it's going to be about Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah. uh, And maybe that other magic game. Yes. Yeah. What magic game? Uh, I'll tell you off air. Okay. Any final thoughts here? Um, Yeah. I I think we summed it up. 2022 had some, you know, 
had some decent games, had some good games. Personally, some that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, not going to be among one of my favorite years in gaming, but uh, it is what it is. And yeah, hopefully, it looks like looks like 2023 shaping up to be even uh, be better. We'd but, hope so. Uh, yeah, we can we, only play what we've got. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we will uh, hopefully let you know at, uh, before too long here. So. Yeah, and if they send me uh, Elden Ring in the next couple of weeks, I'll let you know if it's shit or not. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find me on the Twitter at Loki Jarson. I don't think you can find Sizzy if you want if he wants to be found. You, you actually can, Loki. Okay. I, I um. Since our Lord and Savior Elon Musk bought Twitter, <laughs> I actually have a legitimate Twitter account now. It is at the Joe Stizzy, capital T, capital J, capital S, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where I do all my legitimate business. Uh, this podcast is available at internetsports dot com on iTunes, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.